welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're no longer doing that bit, so I don't have to think of anything. <laughs> Although, uh, for this one, I probably would have said we're a bunch of carnies. That's what I would have said. Yeah. Because we are here to talk about The Wire, critically beloved show, and Carnival, a critically derided show. But no- nonetheless, very near and dear to my heart. We have a guest with us. Please introduce yourself, guest. I am Will. <laughs> Hi, Will. Hi, Hi Will. The way you Hi, said everybody. that, I just the way you said that, I just like pictured you like standing, hands on hips, chest puffed out with a cape flowing behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, here to save the day. <laughs> I had I had that picture and then it was superimposed over that commercial that's been going on with the pigeons. And saying fire at will, and everyone says, "Oh, how did you know his name was Will?" <laughs> nice. I don't know that commercial, but I don't watch no? live TV I'm, anymore. So I'm I'm happy for you. I don't know most commercials. Me neither. I've heard the commercial, yeah, but I haven't seen it because I'm usually I, not honestly, watching. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember what it's a commercial for. Yeah, um, I just opposed to the the idea of firing anything at will. I know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> I'm duck. Hooplecast listeners will be familiar with Will from all of his feedback. He's been a guest before. Most recently, he joined me and Claire doing a unnecessary commentary track for A Perfect Getaway, which is the second stop on my Timothy Oliphant apology tour, where mm-hmm. I have to watch his films uh, as a sort of mea culpa for implying that he was a bad actor on Deadwood. So ah. that was fun. Yeah. I'm sure no one will download or, or listen to that commentary track, but... I certainly had a lot of fun recording it with Will and Claire. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, yeah. That's Are you fun. going to watch his uh, TV things as well? No, we were just going to pick a couple of his movies, like three or four. We've already done Dreamcatcher and Perfect Getaway. Next, we're going to do The Crazies, and that'll be released on Halloween. And then after that, I don't know if we'll do another one or or not. There there might be one more like good Oliphant movie we should watch. I am number four. No. <laughs> he's, he's, not, he's not really the star of that movie. He's more of a you know, supporting character. He wasn't really the star of Dreamcatcher either, but I wanted to watch that with Claire anyway because she's constantly referencing it. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen any of, his, any of his work as far as I know, or at least that I remember, other than um, Justified... And then Hooplecast, because I saw Justified first. Uh, and then, uh, I'm sorry, Hooplecast, right, Deadwood. It might be fun to do, watch Catch and Release, which is a Jennifer Garner, like, romance, like, rom-com thing. That could be fun. That sounds familiar. He's also the star of Hitman, based on the video game series, Hitman. Really? Did you yeah. shave his head for that? Yeah. yeah. He's wearing a bald cap. I cannot picture him as Agent 47 or whatever. I always thought Jason Statham should be Agent 47, but Mm -hmm. they went with Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, he looks super weird and gross (laughs) (laughs) in that. I don't like it at all. 35 on Metascore. Metacritic, rather. Uh, Before we get into our episode discussions, I've got some HBO news. First of all, sad news that Nelson Ellis, uh, known from True Blood, died this past week. He was 39 years old, complications, heart failure. Yeah, it was one of my favorite characters on True Blood, and you know, I'll be 39 in just a couple, well, just a few months, so like, wow, so young. I can't believe you're going to be 39, Will. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. It's fucking crazy. 
depressing. So, <laughs> you know they, I had heard that he died. I actually don't know him at all, but um, he. Uh, but now they've come up with that it was some kind of heart failure from complications or something. So, so, heart failure, but it doesn't say like brought up, brought on by what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. oh. um, whenever we hear celebrities, we always think drugs, but I don't know if that's true in his case. But he was one of the best parts of True Blood. Like, he made it watchable. And that show, for most of its lifespan, I think it was seven seasons, most of it was not watchable. <laughs> I'd say the first two seasons were really good. And then it, it went just downhill. falls apart <laughs> in, like, spectacular fashion. But he was always watchable throughout because he was so much fun. In fact, uh, I don't really think this is a spoiler, but his character... If they had stuck close to the books that the show was based on, his character would not have appeared in season two. But they liked the actor so much, and the character was so fun that they brought him back, and mm. he became a regular for all, all the seasons. So very sad that he's gone. Um, yeah, a lot of people are posting an infamous scene from season one, but this really shows. Yeah, I think that character, the AIDS burger scene, <laughs> this was just hilarious. And see here oh uh here's some news about potential third season of true detective which we had spoken about previously that david milch from deadwood was brought on board as like a co-showrunner but they may have a lead actor and i'm gonna butcher his name uh mahershala ali oh yeah yeah he's uh, been in like everything lately yeah i've i remember everything. him from the 4400 way back when. yeah that's an awesome show <laughs> Uh, but he was uh, most recently on Luke Cage and won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for Moonlight. And he's in um, House of Cards. Yeah, he was in House of Cards. Mm-hmm. But he's al- he's always that guy from the 4400. <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> right! Yes, I know him from the 4400. So I don't yeah. know what he's going to play in in a potential third season of True Detective, but it sounds like, it, I mean, if he could get cast, then they would definitely greenlight the show for a third season because True Detective was a smash hit in its first season. But then in the second, it just, again, it was like a, it was just a bad season of TV. So there was a lot of debate about whether or not they'd even bring it back for a third attempt because it's a, it's an anthology series. Every season's its own police story. So maybe he'll play a cop, maybe he'll be a criminal, maybe he'll be something else. I don't know. But that's cool because he is a really good actor mm. and uh, has a Deadwood connection because David Milch is like going to be a co-writer. Uh, yeah. Another bit of news is that Damon Lindelof, who recently produced The Leftovers, which is a fantastic show that I'm going to force Matt and Mel to watch. Ha! Uh, it, he has got a potential series in the pipeline at HBO, another new series. Watchmen, a new adaptation of the famous comic book series. Interesting. If you're not familiar with Watchmen, it takes place in an alternate timeline where costumed heroes have changed significant events in history. In this universe, the U.S. won the Vietnam War, and President Nixon is still in office well into the 1980s. (laughs) Oh, joy. More (laughs) comics to reflect the cultural anxieties surrounding the Cold War and to deconstruct the do-gooder mythology surrounding superheroes. Since since Watchmen, superhero comics have become more complex and darker, and multiple writers have attempted similar deconstructions. And there was a movie. I don't think the movie got good reviews. I never saw it. Yeah, it was kind of meh. You know, (laughs) nothing spectacular. It wasn't horrible, but, you know, 
There's not a lot you can do with two, two and a half hours to tell a story that, that complex. So yeah, apparently it wasn't a big enough hit because they never made another one. And it seems like if anything's a modest hit these days, they're going to keep building a franchise out of it or attempting to. We will see if the uh, if the TV series is successful or if it even happens, because uh, this note from Hollywood Reporter says an official deal is not yet in place. Representatives for HBO and Warner Brothers Television declined to comment. And a couple more things that we've previously talked about on the podcast. Room 104 which I consider to be a sequel to David Lynch's Hotel Room, has a July 28th premiere date. It's an anthology series from the Duplass brothers about events that happen in a single hotel room. Oh, joy. I've already posted the trailer (laughs) on the Facebook group. The trailer looks pretty good. I mean, it can't be worse than what we got before. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, my feeling has always been the premise of a show almost doesn't matter. Everything is in the execution. True, but it's just it seems like it's really hard to do a show, an ongoing show set in a single location. Yeah, this is true. They've they used to have movies and stuff where they would follow like the pink Cadillac and stuff. They would follow you kinda of trailed um, off there. Yeah. Oh, one item Cadillac? Yeah, one item through its life. I oh just, yeah. Uh, um there was a show called Gun and I think it was about the various owners of a single like firearm and Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, of course, the fantastic movie, The Red Violin. I love that movie. Which I love so much. <laughs> yeah, it's such a good movie. <laughs> good Canadian movie. Yeah. <laughs> we finally made a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you're right, though. I agree that one location, specifically one room, seems like it could could be a disaster. But uh, creative people do amazing things with stranger premises maybe it will be um a somewhat supernatural and oh they go into the bathroom but it opens a portal into another universe now they're actually not in the <laughs> hotel room that kind of thing <laughs> so anyway um go into the facebook group and you can find the trailer for room 104 or you know just type in the search engine room 104 trailer and you'd find it yourselves like learn how to use the internet people uh we, did we talk about the deuce <laughs> did we talk about the deuce no what's that it's a, a show by David Simon of The Wire and Treme, starring James Franco and Maggie Gyllenhaal. The Deuce follows the story of the legalization and subsequent rise of the porn industry in New York Times' Times Square from the early 1970s through the mid-1980s. Whoa. I don't wow. I thought we talked <laughs> about this. Uh, but yeah, there's a little teaser trailer for that, too, that has an official premiere date of September 10th. Ooh, I am all over that then. I love David Simon shows. Not my favorite time period. I don't like 70s stuff. So <laughs> I like 70s see. music. Oh, Michelle McLaren is a producer on it. She's in everything. NPR reports. France has declared that it... Sorry, I set off my Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's it. That's all the news I got. That was a fair bit. Details, links to articles and stuff in the show notes, of course, because I document everything. If you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. But I beg your pardon, what was sitting Never 
series that we're going to be talking about is The Wire, which aired from 2002 to 2008. Five seasons, 60 episodes. First episode called The Target aired June 2nd, 2000, June 2nd, 2002. Story by David Simon and Ed Burns. Teleplay by David Simon, directed by Clark Johnson. All right. Uh, let me get out the randomizer. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is like the worst thing to happen in like <sighs> This is it's a terrible it's a terrible thing, but we're gonna keep doing it because it's actually entertaining when you listen back to it and you can hear us flailing. <laughs> it's a reason. I think it's reasonably entertaining for the listeners. It's just a trial for us <clears throat> who have to do this fucking thing. So yes, uh, our names are on a list. Okay. Well, actually, they're on this little roulette wheel on my phone, uh, and I'm going to press the button now. Really needs to be Carol. She hasn't done this in a while. If ever. I think she did it once. Thank you. It's Carol. <laughs> Carol, collect your thoughts. You still there? Did you go dark? She's not even there. My, she's trying to get out of her responsibility. She she left. Oh, wait. I, I had the mute on. I'm sorry. It's, it's not going to work, Carol. You have to I do. Mean, yeah, I, I was like shouting into the thing. Can't you hear me? Wait a minute. Not again. Can't you hear me? <laughs> and then I looked down and I've got the mute on. So um, you have 60 seconds to summarize as much of the plot of the premiere of The Wire as possible without going over. If you go over 60 seconds, you lose. But if you go ridiculously under, then you're just a chump. That's the rule. I've been called worse. I've been called worse. <laughs> yeah, these are the rules as established by uh, the Ramjack podcast, uh, which I stole this from, shamelessly. <laughs> All right, so you'll be going on three, two, one, don't overthink it, go. All right, it's about uh, uh, groups of uh, Baltimore police and the drug... Oh, you cut out there. ...are dealing with. I'll keep going. Um, the homicide detectives, uh, the um, drug enforcement people who basically haven't been talking to each other one of the detectives uh spills the beans that uh there's a big uh, drug group in town that nobody is looking at they know about it because uh they've killed 10 people uh that creates a shitstorm all over the department uh when the he spilled this to a judge and the judge goes to the higher ups and it all comes trickling down to all the different police groups, which gets them talking to each other, even though they're really upset about it. Meanwhile, the drug people are going about their business, being creating mayhem and, and such. And one of them who started, in a way, started this whole thing, um, starts getting a conscience. The end. Oh, <laughs> one minute and eight seconds. Oh, come on. <laughs> Packed with detail. It feels like it feels like you tried to like cut it short and shortchange it, but you still went over. <laughs> yeah, you still. By it's freaking seconds. Come uh, on. Yeah. Sorry, you get the loser horn right here. 
There, you just heard it. <laughs> oh. And that's without cheating. Yeah. I would have just read my notes. <laughs> when I did this on uh, Intro to X, I always cheated. I always looked at, I did my own stopwatch. But now I'm like, I'm not, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to play, I'm going to play fair and square. See if I can do it. I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. If it was me, I was either going to pretend I was dead or, <laughs> or I was just going to read the Wikipedia synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've been to this area of the woods before when we watched the corner. Mm-hmm. Was it like going home guys? Was it like visiting with old friends? <laughs> Familiar no. territory. I didn't think it was like that at all. I thought it was much more interesting. Yes. And well done. Um, different locations. We get different types of characters. We're not yeah. just wallowing in drug use. There is a druggie who gets beat up, but that's about the only time we actually see people doing drugs. There's some humor in this. I don't remember. There's a lot of humor in the corner, though. No. No, the... There wasn't a lot of a lot of anything in the corner. I don't think <laughs> there was a, there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of you know in the corner. I mean, there was mm-hmm. a lot of suffering and there was a lot of earnestness and there was a lot of real sadness and and it made you feel like you really should want to watch this because it's good for you, like you know the worst tasting vegetables in the world. But um, this was a lot more palatable. What are everyone's least favorite vegetables? Celery. Bell peppers. Squash. I love bell peppers. I despise bell peppers, and they don't like me much either. Mel hates peas. She's crazy. I I used to really dislike peas when I was a kid. I don't. I'm not crazy about them, but I'll eat them. Uh, I'm gonna go with Brussels sprouts. I don't care how you dress them up with your bacon or whatever the whatever people doing in restaurants now to convince you that Brussels sprouts. Can taste good. They can. I think sautéed Brussels sprouts are really good. I think you're trying too hard. Fry them with like. Uh, are they deep fried? Yeah, they're deep fried, and they've got like fish sauce on them. Oh yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah, I think then I think you've changed it to a new thing at this point. Mm-hmm. What? It's still a Brussels sprout. It's just fried. <laughs> sautéed is really good. I okay. Let's I not go down. Like... I'm sorry. I asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to nip this yeah. tangent in the bud. I'm shutting it down right now. Let's go back on track. Uh, um, Matt, who has like ruined seen, all our fun. Yeah. Who has <laughs> seen this? Sh- we, we started like 35 to 40 minutes late, so let's not talk about vegetables. <laughs> um, who, has anyone seen The, the Wire before? Nope. Oh, I've seen no. it all. Sorry. <laughs> That's, I've seen it all the way through, and I would easily put it in my top five TV shows ever. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to. The reason why I wanted to come on here. It's one of my favorite shows. A lot really? of people just, say that. A lot of people. Yeah, I, I've always heard that too. But just from this first episode, I don't see it. <laughs> no, we'll see. A lot of people say it takes them maybe about four or five episodes to get into it, but then they just love it. Because I remember uh, I, f- I first watched the uh, pilot the first night it aired. I first I tried to watch it, but I got about fifteen minutes into. I got to the scene where McNulty is talking to the judge and I was like, I don't really like this and then I waited for the replay on HBO a few nights later, got to the same scene, said, you know, maybe this isn't for me. But then I skipped you know, skip ahead a few years later after it's got all this critical acclaim, I just decided to, you know, just give it another try and I kinda I devoured it the entire series in like 
two months. I'm, this is I had to like rent you know one disc at a time from Netflix, and I would get home from work and watch an entire disc and send it back, and mm. I just loved it. I I started watching this as well a couple of years back, and maybe because I was just younger then, or I just didn't have the patience. I think I made it like three episodes, and then full, probably fully intended to go back to it, and then just didn't. And I bought the Blu-ray set when it was on sale on Amazon, and I've had it for like two years, and this is the first time I've sat down and actually watched it. And I end up watching the second one as well. And I, I think in the second one, I can s- sort of see the appeal of a, a department without resources trying to bring down a criminal enterprise. They don't have the resources. They don't have the respect. They're like a ragtag group of misfits. Some of the cops are really shitty. But there's kind of a fun of, of watching like this gang of nobodies kind of like do the impossible. I can sort of understand that as like that's kind of a hook. I kind of want to see if they can. I found it really dense with all kinds of interesting stuff, actually. I, um, I mean, I wasn't like hooked, hooked, but it, I understood immediately why it was, you know, considered, um, good television. I mean, it, uh, it was setting out some really, really true to life points. I mean, just the whole thing with how, um, how this whole deal got started with the judge asking him a question, him answering it, and him ending up behind the eight, eight ball because he went to a judge, which wasn't what he was trying to do, but that's you know what it ended up looking like. Um, that is that's so true across like every every corporation, every bureaucracy. Something like that can happen, and I've seen it happen. I've accidentally done it um and uh you know where you say something that you don't think twice about next thing you know you've got higher-ups coming to you and saying why did you tell this to this person now you know this whole thing is happening it's like oh okay sorry it it may be the second episode but they imply that he knew what he was doing when he went to the judge yeah i thought i got the impression that he knew he did that on purpose i think it was the judge who said something like (laughs) Oh please, you know what you knew what you were doing when you came here. Okay, that even, must be second episode. I didn't see that, but yeah. I didn't if, even if he did, I could see that happening too. I didn't even catch what the big deal about the judge was. What do you mean? I thought he just went to watch a, a case. Yeah, he did, but what was he doing there? Why was he there? What's it matter? He wasn't participating. But he was there and no. that was unusual. Why? Because apparently the, police yeah, don't the, just go to people's courtrooms for no reason yeah it wasn't his case so why is he there well i guess that's a big deal it wasn't his case so why is he there watching the proceedings he probably spends enough time in courtrooms already that why would you go if you didn't Mm -hmm. have to (laughs) it's you know it's it's work so why why are you going to um a work related thing that isn't your thing why are you spending your time um at this place that no one wants to go to anyway. What do you say? Giving a fuck when it's not your turn to give a fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When, you're, when it's not your turn. Um, yeah. I mean, I could see him doing it on purpose. I could, I could see it being, you know, the first episode makes it seem as though he didn't do it on purpose, but yeah, sure. Especially with detectives and cops and stuff. Yeah. 
A lot of their minds work that way from my experience. My read on it was that he wanted something done, but he didn't He didn't kind of expect that it would happen. And when the investigation then requires manpower and resources and he, everyone's sort of like, oh, thanks for roping me into this, McNulty, he... He's like, oh, well, I, yeah, I wanted something done. I just didn't think through, like, I didn't connect the rest of the dots of what actually would happen. I did it kind of half, went off half cocked. Mm-hmm. So, he, he, so he, he did it intentionally, but then not intentionally. Like, does that make sense? He, I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of those deals where he was going to court because he had a line on this thing. He saw the pieces of the puzzle. He knew that, you know, what was going to happen with this guy. He was kind of, picking a scab in a way. And then when the judge called him in, he had an opportunity and he, you know, he took it. And then all kinds of stuff happened that maybe he expected and maybe he didn't. Were you on this? The case? Yeah. No, it was Barlow. An assist from the Clarney. It was Barlow's case. Why are you in court? No reason. Oh, you just like coming to court on murders you don't even work? Just for uh, the thriller? Well, when you start coming with the customers, it's time to get out of the business. You shouldn't talk dirty now that you're a judge. Now that I'm a judge, I can say anything I damn please. That Barksdale kid, he's a cousin to Avon Barksdale. (coughs) Who? Avon Barksdale, Stringer Bell. Crew that's been running Franklin Terrace for a year. Stringer Bell. Yeah, that was him in court with the legal pad and the glasses, scaring the living shit out of every witness. Him and the rest of his crew. Weebay, Savino, Stinkin. I saw him. You think about clearing the court? On what basis? It's an open court and a free nation of laws. Huh. I thought it was Baltimore. Barksdale has five out of seven towers on the terrace. That's ten stairwells and five high-rises going 24-7 for dope and coke. And that's just the towers. The low-rises, the avenue corners, they're all his, too. How do you know this? Everybody knows it. Define everybody. Well, everybody on the west side. Hey, Barksdale and Bell, they're the new power. I mean, they dropped 10 or 12 bodies in as many months, beat three cases in court doing the same thing they just did to you. Well, who's working at? In the department? Nobody, really. Well, I mean, we're a little busy doing street rips, you know. Community policing and all that. So if it's not your case, why do you care? Well, who said I did? One of the problems I had with this, and I had the same problem with Band of Brothers, is that there's a hierarchy that I find it difficult to sort of figure out who reports to whom. Mm-hmm. So I think at the very top is the deputy, and then the major, then the lieutenant, and then the detective. Yeah. The sergeant, sergeant, and then detective. But they're yeah. in different. But they're in different squads. They're in or in different uh, parts. Like there's okay, the deputy is in charge of everybody mm-hmm. and then you would have <clears throat> you probably the major i'm not sure whether a major would be in charge of two departments or not but then you have the lieutenant in drugs and there should be a lieutenant in homicide though they seem to go to the major so maybe it's a major in charge of homicide and lieutenant in charge of drugs i don't know i thought there were two majors but see i mean that's part of the problem is there, that there should there because you have two departments. You've got narcotics and homicide. One in and, charge of And they each have one. their own, you know, the person they report to. So it's like, oh, I need a chart to figure out. Right. Everybody has a boss at reporters. They seem to be kind of showing right. us that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that they said it was the assistant deputy, and then there would be the deputy, and then they would report to maybe the chief of police. You know, I mean, it's every city, I'm sure, has something somewhat different. Like New York City, I don't think I've ever heard of a major. I've heard of a captain, but I've never heard of a major. How does it work in St. John? (laughs) (laughs) We don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's no crime there. I see lots. I don't know. I just don't care about corporate hierarchies. I don't give a shit about that stuff. Well, it's not corporate, but still. Whatever. It's that same kind of thing. Like you have that everywhere. Like in every company. Like even like yeah. You do. It's like it reminded me of like my work and like when Mm -hmm. when the wine team has to work together with the beer team. You're like, oh, I don't want to work with a wine team. (laughs) 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 They think they're so much better than us. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. For me, this TV show, it just. made me feel like I was at work. And I was like, this is not why I watch TV. <laughs> I watch TV to watch like work drama, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, you already deal with that at work. You don't have to deal with that at, at home. <laughs> static. Oh, Stat- I'm getting static right now. Yeah, you are. You're sounding static. Me? Yeah. Fuck off. No, no I'm not. Oh. <laughs> no. Uh, I know what you mean about the, like it feeling a little bit like work. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of one of the reasons why I've, I wanted to avoid, or I, one of the reasons why I avoided watching The Wire for so long is that it felt like it'd be too real, and I kind of like some f- elements of fantasy in the shows that I watch. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's about cops and drugs and like. I can read an article about that, a newspaper article. I gotta watch <laughs> it being dramatized, like oh. Yeah. And now you got homicide yeah. and narcotics, and they're like they're at each other, and so they're just they're the strife, like the workplace strife, and <sighs> nobody cares. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I loved all the realism. I like. I mean, they're well. I mean, well, it's the wire, so you can assume that there are scenes of them listening to wire surveys. I was just thought those scenes were fascinating somehow when they're just doing visual surveillance and audio surveillance. Um, but yeah, this is me. <laughs> just somehow <laughs> the scenes that you would think would be really uninteresting. Somehow I thought the wire made it seem fascinating. What I thought was interesting in this show was that they still use typewriters. <laughs> that was yeah. bizarre. They acted like computers, like, what is that? You don't know how to use a computer. So what and- year show after 2001 yeah yeah, yeah. Talk about the towers you yeah. ought to you ought to have computers by now i mean come on yeah. i think yeah, that's what they're trying to show that this yeah. this particular department at least is so behind they probably you know can't get anyone to well maybe they don't have well they have computers don't they just don't have them set up yet There's, nobody's in a real hurry to upgrade the equipment so no, I understand that, and and then then we get to see the FBI and how they have state of the art everything. Even their overhead lighting looks like lux, like the inside mm-hmm. of a, of a hotel or a casino. Um, it was just in Las Vegas, so everything looks like a. I compare everything now to a casino, but <laughs> <laughs> um, still, like the guys ought to know how to use a computer. They should have one at home. Not necessarily. I mean, one of the things, like when I went from corporate to um to teaching it yes there were computers finally in the classrooms and yes the teachers were being trained to use them but at that point i mean things have changed drastically in the last you know 10 years but um it was like the middle of the 2000s what and um 
Really? Catch up but, on stuff. But wouldn't yeah. you have computers at, at home? No. I'm trying I was... to think. I'm trying to think. When did I get my order my Quantex computer? <laughs> like if computer in the nineties? Yeah. I Maybe I had computers too. But the thing is that if you a lot of people got introduced to computers through work, you know, especially if you were in a corporate environment or whatever, you started getting computers introduced to you. You started being trained on them. And um, yeah, but and like, I would have bought. I see, but I would have bought this if this was like mid nineties. Yeah, but this is two thousand two. I, 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 I was teaching computer classes to adults in the mid two thousands, and a lot of them didn't have computers at home. It was just at work where they needed to learn how to use a computer. I just I remember, reason. I remember going to like when I was in the eighth grade or whatever and or even the sixth grade actually and we started to use computers at school and this was mid 90s like early to mid 90s so they had mm-hmm. just gotten computers at that point for our school and i live in the middle of butt fuck nowhere <laughs> <laughs> and i know that this is like like they're trying to underscore how broke the department is and how yeah. broke baltimore is and but then i also just felt like this was just setting up the characters so they're like i'm a dinosaur like i'm not like what's a computer like and then you're yeah. going to have someone come in and show, let me show you all this new cool tech. And they'll be like, oh, I just miss good old fashioned police work. Like, I can just see them setting up this kind of crap. And it's yeah. like, I don't want to watch that. I've seen that before. <laughs> now I found, I don't, all right. I'm I being whiny. I better that. stop. I, there's yeah, some I people who like the wire way, and then I'm pissing them is. off right now. Yeah, you don't want to piss off mega fans, Matt. I, know. <laughs> I really didn't see it going that way, but maybe I'm just being, ingen- you know, disingenuous or whatever. But, um, the uh, I, I related to it only because I'd seen that kind of real difference between um, things that are uh, taxpayer-based and things that are corporation-based and how far behind um, the public services can be compared to, um, to the other. As far as having computer, everybody having computers... My son was forced to take, I mean, after in high school taking, you know, computer programming classes and stuff, he was forced to take a beginner pro, beginner computer class at college. Programming? Because, no. Oh. Beginning computer. As in, this is the power button. Here wow. is, ha- this is a mouse. Now, he had been programming in high school and he fell for him, but there were kids in that class who did have to be taught how to click and drag yeah so i don't know i mean we've we've got kindergartners on the computer in my school and first graders um and we've got colleges who are forcing people to take basic this is a computer courses um why we're not testing kids out of it i don't know but we've got a very you know weird thing with people not being caught up on on technology at all this is the power button and you see this little triangle button that makes the cup holder come out (laughs) (laughs) exactly if there's still a cup holder on it see i i I guess my problem was is it felt so on the nose it's like see the see the typewriter this is how broke they are this is how (laughs) this is how like handicapped they are with their resources She's on a typewriter. C, C. Yeah, we, we get it. God. Um, in the second episode, I don't think this is too spoilery. They change buildings. They go into like the basement of like the courthouse or something for their 
for their operation because they're merging homicide and narcotics for the special investigation. They, ha- they give them their own office. So they go down into like the bowels of this building and the electricity doesn't work and there's no desks. There's like a puddle on the floor. They have to mop it. And it's a little bit like they're getting a secret clubhouse they have to put together. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> but it's, yeah, <laughs> I kind of like that. I'll bet they were not thrilled. No. <laughs> <laughs> One would think, though, that they'd have an office for them. I don't know. Well, nope, nope. They don't have the budget. They do not have the budget. Yeah, and depending, and if and if they've been packing people into different places, uh, again, I've I've worked for enough different weird companies that it was just yes. I have. I worked in one place where the woman had to put plastic over her computers and stuff every night because the ceiling would leak and and make everything wet and she would just cover her desk and her computer and everything else. Well, even in the white house, Ainsley Haynes had to uh, work in the steam pipe distribution venue. That's right. I've been watching the West. Wing. There's a limited re- amount of space. Rewatching the, the, yeah. the West wing. I should say great show. Um, it is. We should it's a great show. That. <laughs> um, it is a great show. Before you signed on Carol, we just watched this, the scene about the maps. It's a famous scene. Anyway, Peter's uh, Oh, about the, uh, with, uh, but how maps distort reality of size and location. And that it could be upside down yeah. and wouldn't be upside down. Yes, yeah. I remember that scene. <laughs> it is a great scene. But the uh, the offices, the computers, it's like, yeah, see, these guys are the underdogs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that kind of makes it fun. Um, and I did enjoy the fact that they had a variety of characters and there were various people that had just different viewpoints on everything. Um, it wasn't one guy is the lone wolf in the whole thing. And he isn't, this is a rebel and he'll do it his way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that kind of thing. I mean, you have various people who are set up to be competent people. It's just, they have different ways of doing that competency, how it's going to I would think that it would be interesting to see how this all comes out, especially with the reveal that the kid who, in a way, started all of this, he didn't really start it, but started the, was the catalyst for it happening, um, seems to be getting a conscience or being awakened to. There's a great scene with him in the second episode. Okay. I won't say anything more about that. Um uh, I think uh, I should sit back and let Matt and Mel and Will talk some more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Can you uh, tell us about any moments or characters that you <clears throat> liked, responded to? Well, the, one of those beginning scenes where they're talking about snot boogie. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was funny. Let me understand you. Every Friday night, you and your boys will shoot crap, right? And every Friday night, your pal snot boogie. He'd wait till there was cash on the ground, then you'd grab the money and run away. Let him do that? I mean, we'll catch him and beat his ass, but ain't nobody never go past that. I gotta ask you. If every time Snap Boogie would grab the money and run away, why'd you even let him in the game? What? Well, Snap Boogie always stole the money. Why'd you let him play? Got to. This America, man. I was like, there must be so many good outtakes from that scene. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to say what? I was like, there's so many, like, nicknames on this show. Like, in this episode, there's a guy named Poot. 
and there's Bubbles, Bunk, um, Herc. I just love them. So I just want to know the stories about how some of these people got their nicknames. Yeah. Are we ever going to see the guy he was talking to? And is this whole um, Snotberg Boogie guy's murder ever going to come back? I don't know. Um, uh, hmm. I don't know. I actually don't remember. Okay, because that was something that occurred to me later. It was like, I was trying to remember whether we had seen the guy he was talking to in the teaser. I couldn't remember. There were just way too many people. Yeah, I don't think he's in this episode again. But yeah, it was interesting when that court scene when they're flashing around to all the different people. And I'm like, wow, this you're introduced to so many people you're going to see. Just in this one scene, like Stringer Bell and Weebay and the ju- the um, lawyers and um, D'Angelo. Yeah, there's so many people, and I, for some reason, I couldn't keep track of what people were saying. Like, just I would I would try to listen for a moment, and then they just talk so fast and so constant, they throw out so much information that I would just glaze over. I found it was a lot like like the, some of their style of talking was a lot like. Uh, like old black and white movies. <laughs> the mid-Atlantic accent? Yeah, it was kind of like just that... It was just like really fast-talking kind of... Yeah. Like I, I stopped it. I noticed I stopped. it. Oh, <laughs> Go. I noticed it especially with McNulty. That's because he's English. She his accent, yeah. <laughs> I think um, both Dominic West and Idris Elba <laughs> have really shaky American accents, uh, at least at the start here. They probably get better as the show goes on, but like Idris Elba in particular, like he's so soft spoken. And I think part of it is like Stringer Bell is like soft spoken and he's like speaks softly, carry a big stick kind of guy. But mm. I also think he was masking a shaky American accent. Uh-huh. Uh, I ended up like, I think they were about three lines in and I stopped it and put the uh, subtitles on. So I would you make sure that <laughs> the the yeah. snot boogie scene that you guys liked. I had to rewatch that like three times because I keep I kept losing interest in that, it was that so was me random. For the whole and, that was yeah. me for the whole episode. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "What are they saying?" Okay, I'm trying to listen. I get I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I never lost interest in it at all. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really well done. I I wasn't. Like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing ever. But I thought it was really well done. I thought they set up the characters really well. Seemed well done, but I, I couldn't follow what they were talking about. I really oh. needed subtitles for this show. Like, yeah. I am so used to watching shows with subtitles that if I don't have them and people are fast-talking, it's really hard for me to follow. Especially if I have to take notes. It's impossible. Yeah, well, I you know the first two times I tried to watch this episode, I lost interest. And yeah, just watching it again <laughs> this morning, um, there were a couple of scenes where I was having a little trouble. I had to rewind and listen to it again before I could figure out what they were talking about. But I think it gets better, or you get at least get used to. <laughs> like one thing that I did thought was great about this show is like how what I thought was funny was how some of the lingo from the show ended up in. Um, like some of my friends would start using some of the terminology from the show, like they talk about re-upping their drug supply, but you'll hear people talk about you know re-upping their milk or deodorant in real life, just kind of <laughs> cross over into everyday life. But that's from a military term. 
Uh, okay, I never heard it until The Wire, but... Oh, really? Some of my yeah. friends that were big Wire fans started using some of the terminology ah. from Shell. Ah. Yeah. Okay, because you re-up your um, enlistment. Okay. Yeah. I've heard re-upping. I've used that yeah. before, but I didn't realize that came from... That it was popularized by the... Or, yeah, okay. Uh, okay. At first I wondered I, if Mac- McNulty was deaf. When that scene where like somebody's following him out of the courthouse and they say, Mac- they say, detective! Three times. <laughs> detective! Detective! He's just walking away. Maybe um, he was trying to decide whether he wanted to uh, have that he, conversation or not. I don't not. know. There was like no, there was no uh, reaction on his face to hearing detective. Well, also, you're walking through a courthouse, so there's going to be a hell of a lot of detective. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't like to respond when people yell, yell at me. I mean, <laughs> can, couldn't you hear me? I was yelling. Yeah. Yeah. I heard. I don't like it. And you turn around and you say, these are for you. One's going in your ass, one's going in your eye. Or whatever that. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever that that captain That was was it. Yeah, a lot of foul language in your workplace. (laughs) (laughs) Would not fly where I work. No. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be getting summoned to HR, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. People cuss where I work, but it's nothing... I know we wouldn't talk about anything sexual or not, so nothing like that, but, you know. Um. So would you guys say this is, like, a good episode of TV? Like, why did people... Like, I didn't really like it, so it wouldn't have but made me watch the that's next the one. Thing. It's, like, one of those slow burn kind of shows. Yeah, but what's the incentive to watch... to watch the next one? I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know maybe, I think maybe we had more patience back then to keep going. <laughs> it, and it was HBO. They had done The Sopranos and Oz. I mean, one of the characters from Oz was in this. That's one of the reasons why I watched this because one of the characters from Oz was going to be in. Well, one of the actors and there's a there's at least two that I know of. Seth Gillum uh, is that his name? And, oh, was he uh, in Oz? Lance, Lance Reddick. I think there's probably like a big part of it is like my aversion to cop and lawyer and doctor shows, but and prison shows. Mm. But uh, <laughs> it's like is anything else. Anything else? <laughs> you need on the list. Cop. But I mean, like, I thought you I liked wanna... lawyer stuff. You always wanted Matt Murdock and Foggy to be in court, didn't you? Uh, in uh, Daredevil? Yeah. Yeah, that's just because it never happened and they're called lawyers. <laughs> so, cop, lawyer, I'm writing it down. Prison, what else? Doctors. Doctor. Oh, fuck. <laughs> cop, cop, lawyer, doctor. That's your they're top always three genres. They're always formulaic. Doctor, and they're basically lawyer, like a, a show about. A person's job. I remember, which is yeah, why you might not be interested maybe. in that. I remember a skit on, I think it was Mad TV, that was about a TV show called Doctor Lawyer Cop. <laughs> 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 like he handled yeah. every part of the process. <laughs> um, Amazing. Uh, but yeah, like if I'm gonna watch a cop show, I need a like a cool angle on it. I need like a serial killer who works in the cop department, you know, the police department. Because <laughs> yeah, I love I, I love been, Dexter. Yeah. Well, Dexter's not about a cop. It's about well, I love the a blood spatter analyst, which is kind of interesting. I know, but it's still, he is a serial killer. It's still detective. Called. Yeah, I don't like cop stuff, but I like anything legal. I like legal stuff, and I do like medical stuff too. Yeah, I like all of those. <laughs> cop, medical, doctor. Point to watch a cop or hospital or um, what's the other one? Legal show mm-hmm. takes a lot to get me to try it. Just, it's so familiar that yeah, it's like I've seen that yeah, so many times. Right. So I mean, I used to I used to give all of them a try back 
in the day. But I think part of it is also there's so much TV now with all the cable stations and everything else. It's really hard to give everything a try. So you have to you have to pick and choose. My problem with this is a lot like my problem with The Sopranos in that whenever they talk about their criminal enterprises, it just seems so petty. Yeah. And I'm watching people that don't have high aspirations. Yeah. I'm watching like the low rung of humanity because mm-hmm. they're, I know that sounds mean, but they don't, what are they aspiring to be? What? Not furthering their education. They're not trying to do anything for the common good. Mm-hmm. So it just makes me feel kind of sad. Why don't you t- why don't you stop taking that saw to the parking meter and go to lawyer school? <laughs> uh, yeah, just don't have they don't think they could aspire to any more. Except for you might you kind of get the idea that that Wallace guy he actually knows that Hamilton isn't a president. You kind of get the idea that he's got some yeah brains at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. my note here is that bad with spotting counterfeit money. Good with American history. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yo, yo, ho, ho, ho. Y'all niggas been burnt. Huh? Huh? That's what you got to say? Huh? This look like money, motherfucker? Money be green. Money feel like money. That shit look green to you? Got a dead fucking president on it. Hey, I don't give a fuck about the president. That shit ain't money. There ain't no president. What you mean? Hamilton? He ain't no president. Nigga, is you crazy? Ain't no ugly-ass white man get his face on no legal motherfucking tender set, he president. If this shit happen again, you off the money. You hear me? You ain't even gonna be serving no more. Your ass be out on the bottom end of Vine Street sucking on a 40 yelling 5-0. You hear me? Get the fuck out of here. That's uh, Michael B. Jordan from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, it's very young Michael B. Jordan. Very young. Oh. <laughs> There's, what did he play on Friday Night Lights? We, we, I think we had this conversation already. He was Vince. We did. Oh, that's right. And it was later in the seasons, and I don't remember. Yeah, it was those like the characters. last two seasons when Coach yeah. went went from the, the yeah. Lions to the Panthers. Or yeah, was it from I don't the Panthers those to the Lions. Pretty there's much a, at all. There's a lot of actors in this. I was like, where have I seen them? And yeah, I, yeah. I pegged, I pegged two of them from Walking Dead. Uh, uh, yeah. One of them plays the preacher, and one of them plays. Uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he was... He um, was Bob on The Walking Bob. Dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's then, another character introduced uh, in the later seasons that's also on The Walking Dead. Okay. And uh, I, I just can't place the lieutenant. The, like, the, the tall... Oh, this Lance Reddick. <laughs> What's he oh. from? Fringe. Oh, nope. Lance Reddick? Nope. Is that your t- oh, which one? Which guy? Well, I mean, he might be from that, but I haven't seen him in that. So what else? Oh, you know Lance Reddick from uh, Destiny. <laughs> he played. Uh, he was one of the guys in the in the, like the tower. <laughs> no, I, I didn't recognize his his face. Quest like, giver. The Gaunt guy was in the yeah, corner. He's, he's gotten a lot of publicity from being Wait, on the wire. He's the Gaunt? only person that I knew was on the wire. He's like a tall, skinny lieutenant guy. Yeah, he's uh, the head of drug enforcement, and he's been yeah. on a ton of stuff. And he's there's been a lot of publicity. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, he was on Lost. Oh, oh, that's probably that's where. where we saw him, probably. But only for a few episodes. Because he's just got such a distinct face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look- he was on Fringe for 90 episodes. Three ep- three episodes of American Horror Story. And we've seen that, too. Well, some of it, not all of it. Quantum Break. Oh, yeah. 
Voices in Destiny, voices in Horizon Zero Dawn. He's now on Bosch, 30 episodes. We would have seen him in an American Horror Horror Story. Story. Yeah, Yeah. I knew he was in something creepy. I just couldn't remember what that was. And he was in 12 episodes of Oz. Yeah. Good old Lance Reddick. Always kind of plays the same guy. (laughs) Stern guy in a suit, kind of like the boss of the department, whatever department he's in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he was. An yeah, artist. it was a little weird seeing him in the corner where he's different. He's a druggy kind of guy. He was in the corner. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> corner maybe and eyes. Maybe I didn't watch those episodes. <laughs> I don't feel that Idris Elba made much of an impression on me. This this one. No. No. Yeah, not much. in this one. Um, but this was the kind of I think this is a show that blew up his career though, or this is where he blew up and became known. Yes, I think so too. Also, Michael Kenneth Williams was not in the first two episodes that I watched. He plays Omar Little, and uh, that character was known because it was a a gay character that was rather atypical for non-stereotypical at the time. Um, But since I never watched The Wire, I really only know him as Chalky White from Boardwalk Empire. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about Bunk and McNulty? (laughs) partners partners i yeah. like i like that they uh seem to have a good relationship although they looked like maybe they're lazy i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well they were on their off time weren't they maybe they're allowed to be lazy on their off time they're good com- camaraderie but i don't know how good they are as cops <laughs> <laughs> i well, like they, them well enough they yeah, must I, be yeah. pretty good cops considering they're the the only ones that seem to be putting the pieces together on yeah, McNulty, when he was talking, when the guy was like, why are you bringing this, like, what are you talking about? And he was, like, naming off all the cases, and mm. he was he had a really good memory for old cases. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the, uh, the scene where they talked about the mouse in the closet was like, oh, this is going to be a metaphor. What is, what is this a metaphor for? This long, rambling story about a mouse in the closet and using the service revolver on it. Like The, o- the only thing I wondered about that was... How did he account for that ammo that he spent on the on the mouse? Because <laughs> they have to account for all the, every shot fired, I believe. They they do. Uh, I don't know. They didn't answer that. But he he says something like, "Oh, I thought about leaving the mouse as a warning to the other mice." And then at the end, we see the dead witness, who is I think is the mouse in the closet. He's left on the pavement as a warning to others: "Don't go take the stand." And testify against yeah. us you'll end up dead so yeah. i think that's what the parallel was supposed to be but most of the time uh, i was like oh so what's the what's the point of this story i wasn't sure if the story was even real or not like did that actually happen <laughs> or is he exaggerating mm. and it reminded me of my grandmother because when she would kill a snake she would hang it up on the fence it's kind of a warning but i don't think it actually i don't think that actually worked hey hey other snakes <laughs> <laughs> this could happen to you <laughs> That's so ghoulish. <laughs> Your grandmother yeah. sounds like she does. She don't give a shit. <laughs> she doesn't. She didn't. So, I drive all the way down the Liberty Road at two in the damn morning. On the midnight shift, I got two murders and a police shooting going down to do what? Get a goddamn mouse out of my wife's bedroom closet. Can you imagine that shit? What did you do? What the fuck you think? I got the mouse out as fast as I could. Drove back to work. Couldn't do nothing else. Nadine out of her fucking mind over this little ass field mouse. I mean, she's up on the chair and shit when I come like some goddamn cartoon. 
I mean, how did you catch the mouse? Catch him? I lit his ass up. You shot the mouse? Mm-hmm. You're nine? First shot killed my wife's dress shoe. Got him with the second. What? You shot a mouse with your service weapon? Yeah. What did you do with the carcass? I cleaned it up. You know. Thought about leaving that little motherfucker there as a warning to the others. You know? <laughs> So yeah, Bunk is one of, one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, and some of the, my favorite characters haven't been introduced yet in the none of this episode. I really liked Kima Greggs. Oh, she's great. She, yeah, she's you know, she's capable clearly and better smart. than she's. Oh, she's clearly the most capable of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that the lady cop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so, we see her home life, and she looks like she's got a professional wife. Um, I mean, her wife is a professional, not that her job is, that, never mind. Um, <laughs> she seems to be doing some like further education. Cause she talks about writing a paper. Mm-hmm. Is that this episode or the next one? No, that's this one. That's this one. Uh, so she's furthering her education and she just seems altogether more adjusted and competent than even McNulty, who later we find out, um, doesn't even own a bed. He just sleeps on a mattress on top of a box spring. Yeah. So he's kind well, of a sad sack loser. Also, he well, their boss, the their boss says that she's his best at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have we seen her in anything? That actress? She was in something recent. Well, fairly recently. Was she on one of the Marvel shows? That's what Mel thought. Was she know. like the cop from Luke Cage? Like the boss? Yes, she was the captain Luke of Luke Cage, Cage, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I was like, she looks so distinctive. She, like, I thought she looked way different. <laughs> she did. Between but, then and this. But she's still like, her, her voice and her face, I was like, like, there's not a lot of voices and faces like that. Like, she's yeah. just got a real like distinctive look about her. <laughs> A lot of people with noses and mouths. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, I don't know. There's just something about her that's really like, I don't know. This mm. really recognizable, I guess. I, I really liked her. Yeah, I like I like her. Uh, from what I've seen of her as an actress, I like her. I like pretty much every everybody. Every every actor felt right for the, for the role. Mm. I just had a hard time with names. Like I just kept calling the one guy Turtleneck because I didn't know his name. <laughs> and, all, yeah. and he wore turtlenecks. Who was Turtleneck? <laughs> uh, the guy on Bob. trial. I think his name is oh, D something. D'Angelo. They just called him D. Yeah. I called him Turtleneck because that was his wardrobe choice. Mm-hmm. He's hiding a whole bunch of hickeys. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, got them like, in jail. Why, why the Turtlenecks? What's he covering up? <laughs> jail hickeys. <laughs> oh my god, that needs to be somebody's rating. <laughs> <laughs> I know it ain't go so good, but that nigga Pooh, he caught me off guard. He came at me like he was crazy. So you shoot the motherfucker? I'm saying it was him or me. You in our building. You got people on both stairs. You got more motherfucking people out in the court. And you got a gun. So what I'm trying to figure out is how the fuck you end up shooting this nigga in front of the security booth with all them people around. I'm saying this nigga was coming at me like like he was trying to end me. I'm saying about him. 
It's about you. You can't play him out of that lobby. You can't take a beating either. So the first thing you do, you get all emotional. You pull your gun out. You do some dumb shit. Then now we got to work around. I know. Yo. Let me say one motherfucking thing I want to hear. You're right. You're right. I mean, I got to start thinking more. You be saying that all the time and you're right. I'm saying no, huh? I mean, shit y'all put with that security lady. <laughs> it was tight. <laughs> I mean, that state lawyer, I ain't never seen a white woman turn so red. <laughs> Should have been there. <laughs> uh, the most offensive thing that I saw was that they went to a bar that had beer on tap, but they were drinking from bottles. Ew. Oh. I don't even, whatever. <laughs> And before you say, well, they wanted some some craft beer that was only available in or import beer only available in bottles, not on draft. Then they, then it should have been in a glass. So that excuse doesn't work. What if the glasses are dirty at that bar? You don't have dirty glasses. You have clean glasses, and you have them slightly chilled. <laughs> otherwise, like, hey, otherwise, don't clean, be a bar. <laughs> I want a clean glass, and they just keep giving you dirty glasses. <laughs> I'm not going to your bar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then at the club, they were drinking out of bottles, too. Oh, my but God. Maybe... That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All those strippers were just like, I don't care. <laughs> just like, really, like, there was one of them. She just danced like she didn't know how to undress herself. <laughs> it, it's it's like um, Grand Theft Auto <laughs> strip clubs. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was awful. <laughs> Uh, never been, never been to a strip club. Have no intention of going. I really, think I'd I was be, at one. I'd be too sad. <laughs> too sad. <laughs> yeah, I feel like some of them are like it's just like you don't know what kind of situation these women are in. That you know, some of them are really, I don't know, might have been coerced into it or whatever. Could be, or could be like, my body, my choice. Could be, could be. Okay. Well, there's nothing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. No, I'm just saying it kind of makes just, me sad. It's just sometimes, sometimes you can kind of get a that's, feeling that, like that's yeah. what internet porn is for. <laughs> <laughs> someone I who of, I, I, I won't identify had and, never. Sorry, someone I I won't identify had indicated that they didn't understand why. And there's a guy um, that he and a couple of his friends were talking about it, and and you cut out to or wanted to go to strip clubs because it was like why do you want to go watch someone that you can't do anything with tease you basically yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. That, it just sides. didn't make there's any always sense. that back room right yeah th- i don't think they really would be interested in that either <laughs> mm. uh, just masturbate <laughs> <laughs> easy solution Oh, the, they don't. That's right. They the don't episode. have computers. Quote of the episode: "Ugh, just masturbate." Someone <laughs> <laughs> needs to isolate that. <laughs> isolate that audio. <laughs> oh, it'll call back. Call back uh, in joke. <laughs> um, anything else for this? You could do like a baby driver thing and remix some of Matt's quotes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, we can read uh, some feedback. Let's find Harold's feedback. Um, before we play that, uh, 
What were those sandwiches? Sandwiches. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> what are those statues? The statues at the end. One of them yeah. looked like it was holding a sandwich. It was but eating a sandwich. I think I, it was supposed a, to be. No, it was a boy with a harmonica. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what I no. No. That's a <laughs> yeah. Harmonica. It's a giant harmonica. Yeah. She's like meat in that harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> that could be your rating. Harmonica sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Harold, you're feeling you guys super like the long. theme okay, song? Though. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to talk about the main titles cause, uh, for all of these. I don't remember it. Um, I, the devil I just... Down in the hole. Oh, is that what it is? Down in the I think hole. The, I think the song is called Down in the Hole. Did it have words? Yes, it yeah. did. I did not even hear them. I just was looking at the... Um... Would you sing us a few bars, Will? Yeah. <laughs> I can't see. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know, and I guess this would be a spoiler, but they do have a different singer each season. To, you know, different person sings the theme song in a different style. Really? So it's kind of some interesting just yeah. to find out they what it was going to sound like. Too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Little boxes. <laughs> little boxes on they... the hillside. <laughs> do they change the, uh, the pictures and everything, or do they keep everything the same? I think the pictures were the same, but the singer was different. Like I, Tom I, Waits. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> so, say Tom Waits did it one season, the Neville Brothers, um, Steve Earle. Hmm. I was just watching the images. I have to admit, I, I had a vague notion that the title sequence, the music, seemed fairly upbeat, mm. considering the subject matter. And meanwhile, I was watching the... the uh, the images, which I don't know why I hadn't put it together that the wire had to do with wiretapping. I mean, duh. But um, I didn't. What so as it led you through drug wars, was... the wiretapping. I don't know. I didn't think about it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I just hadn't thought. Like I don't know why. Wire? Or bird on the wire or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's a circus act. <laughs> yeah. Walking the wire. I mean, I knew that, you know, I didn't know whether it was a metaphor or, or what it was, but... Um, you know, it's like as soon as I saw the the pictures, okay, it's bringing us through drugs and drugs, and oh, wiretap. Oh, good grief, wiretapping, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's too obvious. I think that's why. Yeah, I felt really stupid. Because <laughs> I didn't think it was about that either. I thought it was just like, oh, we're down to the wire. I yeah, that's what oh. it was. Oh, well, that kind yeah. of makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like all of those much more metaphorical allusions had mm. occurred to me, yeah. but for some reason. It, but it's kind of it, a non-title. I don't like it. The Wire. <laughs> generic. It feels generic. The wire. Especially since they don't even really get into wiretapping except at the FBI for the entire episode, first episode. But I guess they have to introduce it anyways, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it turns out to be a super important plot point, the wiretapping. I would think. Or maybe it's just a MacGuffin. And whenever whenever they need something solved, oh, we have that on audio. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you would almost Thanks to the wire. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, wire. You, you would almost think that it would be about a sound technician. Like, what was the uh, what was the movie with was it Gene Hackman about the whole uh, the guy who was a sound guy and he was he was tapping into everything and I don't remember. Now, what the name of it was, but it had to do oh, something. That's Enemy of the State. No, yeah, with Will Smith. <laughs> Gene Hackman yeah. hasn't been in a movie since 2004's Welcome to Mooseport. 
Well, there you have it. Has he been? Has he been ill? Did he just retire? Probably just retired. Um, he probably retired because um. You gonna I mean, retire he's... with Welcome to Mooseport? That's gonna be your last credit. Okay, All right. retirement money. <laughs> you should call him up and be like, "What's what's up with this?" This you is could, an he, he could have had uh, the Royal Tannenbaums as his last movie, or even but, Behind yeah, Enemy well, Lines. Maybe you didn't know it was going to be his last movie. Well, he was born in 1930, so well, all right. he's, he's what, 87 now. What? He just couldn't pass up the That's chance crazy. to work with Ray Romano. <laughs> <laughs> so. so the Blu-rays, I gotta, I'm going to bitch about the Blu-rays here. I hate, hate, hate when Blu-rays and DVDs use the main title music or song as the menu music. Because it means that while I'm getting ready to watch the show, I'm just hearing the main song on a loop. And then I sit down, I watch the episode, and I hear the fucking song again. Mm. I don't... Ugh, stop doing that. In yeah, fact, don't put, music in, don't put music in your menus at all, I say. Or spoilers. Or spoilers. You know, carnival menus. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm going to post Harold's feedback in the Skype and have Mel read it. Yes, sir. Mm, mouse. Watching The Wire so soon after the corner helped to emphasize in my mind how the later series is an attempt to take the same material but make it accessible to a larger audience. Instead of focusing on addicts living in slums, we get familiar TV genres, cops, crime lords, and courtrooms. In future episodes, the show will go further to keep eyeballs glued by inter... Unless they get poked by a middle finger. And to keep eyeballs glued by introducing some larger-than-life ga- gangster characters who feel like they belong to another show, even though their presence creates some tension with the show's otherwise realistic feel. None of this made The Wire popular, but the format gave it enough juice to last five seasons. I have a personal story that reflects this difference. When The Corner de- debuted, it got a lot of good reviews, and I was very interested in seeing it. As I was watching it, my wife joined me during the scene where Ronnie confronts the dealer in the middle of the street, trying to scam him out of extra product. Almost immediately, she said, Nope, I'm not watching this. Hand over the remote. (laughs) When The Wire debuted, I was barely aware of it. I think I confused it with The Corner and thought it was just a continuation. Years later, I was listening to a podcast where they were discussing the best shows of the 2000s. And I was, I was expecting to hear about The Sopranos or Mad Men or some of the other shows that I hadn't seen but had heard about. Instead, everyone on the panel immediately jumped in to cut off the hosts to say, The Wire! End of discussion. So I ordered the discs from Netflix. This time, my wife was hooked. <laughs> we would stay up late to watch one more and get impatient waiting for the next disc to arrive. Well, she sounds she like rec- you will. <laughs> <laughs> She recently mentioned that she would like to watch it again, and she never rewatches anything. As far as the pilot goes, it does a solid job of setting up the story of the Barksdale investigation and establishing the world of the show. But although it has some strong individual moments, like the story of Snot Boogie, or when Major Rawls gives McNulty double-barreled fingers for opening up a can of worms, it is not an especially memorable episode. I think that the reason that these two scenes work is that they are not only interesting and complex, you can spend hours breaking them down, believe me, people have, but they get to the show's philosophy. We live in a world with rules, which don't always make sense, but those are the rules, and if you try to break them, you will likely suffer the consequences. One of those rules is, don't give a fuck when it isn't your turn to give a fuck. (laughs) McNulty will break this rule time and time again. It's in his nature. 
McNulty is not supposed to care about solving last year's murders. He is not supposed to watch trials for cases that he is not involved in, and he is not supposed to go around the chain of command. The show leaves it ambiguous. It is possible that McNulty didn't realize that walking into Judge Phelan's courtroom would be like rolling a snowball down <laughs> Mount Everest. In my opinion, perhaps biased by having watched the whole series, I tend to think that although perhaps he didn't specifically plan things to happen the way they worked out, he didn't just happen to sit in that courtroom without at least a hope that someone would give him or someone would ask him why he was there, which would give him the opportunity to lobby for heightened police attention towards the Barksdale crew. The show is also concerned about how the cops are trained to only care about certain stats, so they only care about how many of this year's homicides have been closed, not last year's. They hope that deaths the they hope that deaths are from natural causes, not homicide, so that there isn't one more unsolved murder on the board, and how they are never supposed to care about murders that were not assigned to them. Also, the show believes that there is something fundamentally wrongheaded about the war on drugs. What makes this show worth watching is that it has a lot to say about life in America, and it wrapped its passionate and angry point of view in an entertaining wrapper of a crime show. You get the equivalent of a police heist as the police try to crack the Barksdale crew. You'll get a crime drama and a lot of other things, too. The show has humor, great characters, and character arcs. It will take you places you've never been to on a TV show. Even if it isn't my all-time favorite series, it is right up there and will it definitely gets a lot better after these first couple episodes. I would say give it about five episodes. If you are not hooked by then, it is not the show for you. Odds are you will be hooked. <laughs> yeah. I told Harold, something similar for Carnival. I'm like, Harold, give it six episodes. And if by then you don't like it, it's not the show for you. Yeah, yeah I think if you can get to episode five or six, you'll want to watch all five seasons of it. I know that in later uh, seasons, they they do stuff about Baltimore newspapers. There's a season yeah. about the Baltimore school system. Well, like somehow these very specific um, parts of like the Baltimore sphere is they're they're captured somehow in the wire. I'm not sure how that connects to the like the police stuff. Is it just like a big element to the to a police investigation? Is it the same police investigation? Is it more of an anthology series? Like, well, we don't see the cops anymore because we're only in the public school system. Will, can you kind of... Yeah, each season that? has a different theme behind it, like the you know, education system, politics, or the media. And, yeah, you'll see a lot of the characters... In throughout the entire series, you'll get introduced to new characters, um, depending on what the focus is on. But yeah, it is kind of, it is connected to uh, yeah the police and police work. But does that mean we move away from Barksdale and the characters in the towers and the low rises and the pit and? Um, yeah, you kind of you kind of move away from that storyline, even though some of those characters will still be involved in what's going on. So it's kind of sounds like season one could be its own standalone show and and then it becomes some other aspect of baltimore yeah kind of yeah okay so have you have you not seen this whole series matt no 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 oh okay no only the first two episodes well i said i saw like three or four a couple years ago and why didn't you keep going because it was cop stuff cop drug stuff oh it looked like it was too sad and depressing and too real yeah. and like i read enough about this kind of stuff in the news that I don't want to watch it for entertainment. 
even if it is good or real. Like it, it felt like it didn't have a hook for me to make it any different than the things I've already seen, even if it really is well told with good characters and good character arcs. But what gives me sort of uh, makes me want to keep pushing through it is that everyone says, oh, it gets really good like halfway through the first season. And then that the subsequent seasons are have different approaches. We're going to talk about the school system. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about newspapers. Oh, okay. So there's more to it. It's like they're world building. Yeah. So that's kind of, that makes me want to watch all of it because I know that there's, it's going to be more than just drugs and cops. Yep. yep. Uh, another thing that, Harold said about what, listening to a podcast is that I assigned him some homework. I said, Harold, listen to these two podcasts about The Wire and let me know what you think so that when I start watching the show, I'll have something to listen to. But he didn't seem to like either one. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there there may not be a good Wire podcast. Sounds like you've got a new project, Matt. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, are you still here? You might be on mute still. I can't tell. I think it's time. Yes, to I am. On. I okay. muted it. I had muted it, but uh, and I had some internet problems, so I've been back and forth. But uh, should say, is there anything else about Harold's feedback we want to on? No, just like him saying that it's a really good show is everything I've ever heard. But yeah, just going off this first episode, not impressed, huh? Not, not I don't see what's special about it from one episode, but that could be said about a lot of shows. Oh, it it really can, and that's kind of the challenge of this podcast that we're doing right now. That we're only watching the first one. Yeah. Often I, the first one is the one that's like the outlier before they I, figure it out, you know? I really did find I thought it showed a lot of of real quality, honestly. I I'm not surprised that it's that it becomes a show that people are so enthusiastic about. Just because as Harold did say, I mean, the density of it, there's an awful lot going on. In this, and they're they're throwing a lot of very subtle comments about people, and and as he says when he goes through the whole thing about how you're not supposed to care, uh, that they say in much more colorful language. Um, <laughs> I, honestly, when I when I came from theater, where and will try their hardest all the time, and and kill themselves to try and you know do a good show. And I went and I had my first job working in a corporate environment. And people kept saying to me, why do you care so much? Just, you know, knock it off. Just stop caring so much. <laughs> yeah, you're making this I, look bad, Carol. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, and they were really disgusted by the fact that, you know, I wanted to do a good job. And I cared about the fact that things were being. Well, you kind of cut off there, but I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, um remembered was i think a lot of the characters on this show are based on real people i think because then david he was a journalist in baltimore right just the guy mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier omar i think he's kind of a combination of like different you know gangsters that were in baltimore one thing that did kind of make uh, when i was watching the show i did notice um, they use a lot of non-professional actors on the show like real police officers or gangsters so some of that made me cringe but that was like one of the few things i ever complained about now was that to save money and they just said it they wanted it for authenticity but they're like let's just save some money (laughs) i don't know but yeah sometimes 
But yeah, you move on from it really quickly, though. It's just like a cop, and the way he delivers his lines are like, you know, I could do better than that, and I'm not in <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I like the second episode considerably more than the first, but even that one, I think I got about 40 minutes into it, and even though I was really enjoying it, toward the end, it's like, um, is this still, when's this over? Mm-hmm. kind of wore me down. I think when shows are really dense... They can be taxing because they're so they're they're throwing so much at you that can be yeah, really difficult. That's to keep that's up. probably why I kept zoning out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of humor. I mean, there is some. But there's not a lot. Oh, um, I've got feedback from Stephen about the wire. So it's audio feedback. So let me get that going. Steve Banward here. Loyal Hooplecast listeners will remember me when we reviewed the first episodes of Oz and From the Earth to the Moon. To connect that recording with this on that podcast, I mentioned Tom Fontana, uh, created and wrote the series Oz. Before Oz, he wrote for the show Homicide Life on the Streets, based on the book by David Simon. We've actually seen David Simon before on this podcast as well. He wrote the book The Corner, A Year in the Life of an Inner City Neighborhood, which HBO turned into a six-part miniseries. HBO returns to the main streets of Baltimore once more with The Wire. Created by David Simon, The Wire is the spiritual sequel to Homicide, and as Richard Beltzer is credited as reprising his character, Detective Munch, late in Season 5, then you could indeed consider The Wire to take place in the same cinematic universe as Homicide and Law and & Order. I'll let you guys talk about the first episode, but admittedly, The Wire is a slow burn. The titular Wire does not show up until Episode 6, which means the first five episodes is the police department cutting through all the bureaucracy and red tape. This is actually the most realistic part of the show, as all that bullshit uh, that comes with any large organization. On the flip side, the criminal organization, the hoppers, the pit boys, corner boys, soldiers, lieutenants, and bosses, they deal with the same BS. I like that juxtaposition of showing both sides of the law, and really I can't think of another show that does it as well. Um, Maybe a little bit with The Shield, which ran at the same time as The Wire, Uh, from 2002 to 2008. For those that are interested in continuing to watch The Wire, here's a non-spoiler overview of the five seasons. Season one is damn good TV. Uh, My favorite scene, and surely fans of Deadwood would appreciate, uh, comes in episode four of the first season, where detectives McNulty and Bunk are investigating a murder scene, all the while muttering variations of fuck. Uh, Season 2 is a departure from Season 1. Not bad, mind you. It's uh, actually pretty solid. It's just telling a very different story. Uh, Season 3 returns to form. It's pure perfection. Um, I I say you could end the series there and I would be happy. Um, Season 4 returns. Um, It's often considered the most critically acclaimed and eye-opening as it involves four middle schoolers trying to live within the fucked-up rules that have been created over the last three seasons. Um, With season five, the show goes off the rails. Um, With only ten episodes, it's the shortest of all the seasons. Uh, Everything gets wrapped up way too quickly. I will say season five goes inside the Baltimore Sun newspaper, yet another organization with layers of bureaucracy. Um, Some of this is still interesting and relevant today. The decline of print in the digital world, uh, the power of the media, and the dangers of fake news. Uh, If anything, Season 5 follows up on the lives of the four boys from Season 4, so that's interesting. Uh, In closing, I'll say uh, great characters, played by great actors, uh, Idris Elba, I love you. Um, 
Here's a haiku for the wire, um, following the, the character Russell Stringer Bell. Uh, co-op businessman, smartest gangster in the room, James Bond wannabe. Mm. <laughs> huh. Okay, so I'm surprised he thinks that season five is the weakest. For me, that would be the one that I would be most excited about, because I love newspaper stuff. I think season five probably stretches the stretches believability the most out of all five and it's yeah but it's the one that's probably critically panned the most but i think it finishes strongly that's what like what what stretches believability about it um as spoilers i guess i don't care something (laughs) well i i do care so as minor spoilers as you can be yeah go ahead if you have i know maybe it does i mean maybe it's not unbelievable just um cops doing Illegal, doing wrong things, but for the right reasons. Okay. Okay. Maybe it happens more than I would realize. There are not enough shows set in like newspaper land, <laughs> but I love, I like, I like reporter stuff. Matt, is that okay? Are you okay with reporters? Shows about reporters and newspapers and magazines and things publishing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, that goes on the win column. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to keep it all straight. Think of a show with like. Based on newspapers. I can think of one based not- on radio. <laughs> news radio. Yeah, news radio. There's, but there's really not. Newsroom. Oh, fuck the newsroom. Oh, that's right. We're going to have to watch that. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, newspaper stuff in uh, House of Cards. Uh, I suppose, yeah. Do you like that? Uh, I think like- Who, me? Yeah. House of Cards. I haven't watched past season two. Oh, never mind. Because uh, Frank Underwood was smarter than every character to like an absurd degree, and it really frustrated me because it felt so like over the top cartoonish unbelievable and not like say the west wing which is optimistic and full of really smart characters and it feels very true to life frank underwood felt like a super villain yeah he is <laughs> so uh well, maybe i'll go back at some point and watch it i always like the look of it yeah. Because it, lo- I mean, it looks like a David Fincher, Fincher film because he directed the pilot in the first couple episodes. So it's got that David Fincher feel to it. And uh, still love the, those main titles. Yeah. Yeah. Carol, are you back? Nope. She dropped off the call. She's had problems all day. She doesn't want to do this. <laughs> Her internet doesn't want to do this. It's tired. You're not going to get Avon Barksdale or Stringabelle or anyone else above the street. Not on street rips. You don't know that. These guys are good. They're deep. They're organized. They got everyone on the terraces running scared. What do you suggest? Surveillance teams. DNRs. Asset investigation. Keep gathering string till we can find a way in. Either wired CI or Title Three. That's what makes this case. Is that what you told the judge? Okay, so I'm an asshole for that, but I'm right about this much. No mics and no wires. We do this fast and clean and simple. Then you don't do it at all. What the? F- Seems to me you all could have had this fight between yourselves before calling in the state's attorney's office. Let me ask you something. What do we know about Avon Barksdale? What do we know? Yeah, the guy's owned all of Franklin Terrace for a year. What do we have on him right now? DOB? Sheet? BFI photo? We don't even have a fucking photo of the guy. Oh, give me a break, Jimmy. Two days ago, no one on this fucking floor knew this mope's name. Now he's some kind of criminal mastermind. Shit, I say we go down to the terrace and fuck some people up. You all don't need a prosecutor. You need a fucking referee. When you know how you're playing this, give a yell. Well, we rate things on this podcast for some reason. So let's uh, give this a rating. 
out of 10. Will, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I enjoyed the pilot, though, like everyone who's seen it is saying. It's not the not even close to being the best of the series, but it was a great introduction to characters um, that we'll be seeing a lot of throughout season one, at least, and some throughout the series. Um, and there were some good, funny moments. And uh, yeah, I enjoy I give it seven and a half out of ten. Um, I can't remember what we said that already. <laughs> I guess seven and a half out of ten snot boogies. <laughs> uh, seven and a half is going to be my rating as well. It was better than I thought it would be. It was v- pretty refined, but I had a hard time keeping track of the hierarchy, as I already said. I was looking forward to seeing Michael Kenneth Williams. He wasn't in this episode. I was looking forward to Idris Elba. He was barely in this episode, so had some dis- disappointments there. Could have been a little... um I don't know. It was it was fine, but it kind of felt like the thing that I had to sit through in order to watch Carnival. <laughs> so they had that going uh, against it. Uh, I don't know why they're drinking beer out of bottles when they have taps <laughs> available to them. <laughs> Perplexing. Big mystery. Liked a lot of the actors. I liked seeing um, Matt, l- little Michael B. Jordan. What? It's because they didn't have computers. <laughs> uh, the computer stuff. It's like we get it. You're that's why they you're were disadvantaged. Beer bottles. They're di- no okay. They're, they don't know better. <laughs> it's they're just they're all kind of there's like a nihilistic cynical tone mm. about the whole thing. Like they're so apathetic because it's about the drug war and the war on drugs is so tedious to me. I think maybe like 10, 20, 20 years ago, it wasn't. But now it's just like, we get it. The war on drugs is a failure. Legalize pot already. Let's move on with our lives. <laughs> so You got tired of seeing those winners don't use drugs things on every arcade game you ever played. N- Nancy Reagan was wrong. Everyone should do drugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was... It was okay, and I and I did enjoy. I would say three fourths of the second episode quite a lot. My interest kind of um, waned toward the end of that one, but I I'm planning on sticking with it because everyone says the back half of the season is very strong, and that it goes into some really cool places in subsequent seasons, which kind of sound not like they're they're standalone seasons, but that they offer different dimensions to the show. So if I, even if I don't like the drug stuff, it kind of feels like it's going to go away a little bit. So I'm going to keep watching. Uh, I'm going to, so yeah, I'll go seven and a half out of 10 severed penises <laughs> uh, because McNulty got dangerously close to that train. And I was like, yeah, what if, what if the episode just ended with McNulty's dick getting severed by an oncoming train? <laughs> wouldn't, that have, wouldn't that have been weird? Mm. Would it have gotten severed though? Or would it just got knocked out of the way? And like, like a train punched his dick. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he would have been dead um, <laughs> because it wouldn't have been just his dick. It would have been like his whole like to- torso. <laughs> he would have been ripped in half. Oh, I thought he was just placing his, his, his penis over the tracks and urinating. I thought only his penis was in danger. <laughs> <laughs> I must anyway. have looked away for a minute. I did not know that that's what was going on in that scene. Yeah, he's very close to that train. And uh, obviously the lead character is not going to get killed off in the... Well, I mean, maybe, but I, I knew he wasn't. But it doesn't mean that his cock wasn't going to get chopped off by a train. Mm-hmm. It was the urination part I didn't catch, so I oh. must have like been taking a note or something and looked away just long enough to not see what he was doing. 
Yeah, it was during the whole um, drinking out of bottles. Uh, later on, uh, oh, I. What I talked about mites in closets. I got it. Uh, no, I, right. I knew exactly when you were talking about it. It's just, as I say, I must have looked away at just the moment when they showed what it was he or indicated just what he was doing on the train tracks. Okay. <laughs> I saw him later, walk to the train later tracks. On, later on, they drink out of cans and then they just throw the cans on the ground. Oh, they that's litter. perfect. Yeah, I don't know. Nope. What, I mean, they should <laughs> and, find themselves. And then they drink. Then they drive. It's different cops that do it. Worst. But Worst. it's oh. like you're littering. Like <sighs> care. Yeah. Care about care about your environment, please. I like these drug dealers a lot more if they use some of the money that they made on the drug sales to like the beautification of their neighborhood, like plant a tree. Oh yeah, that's what. There's, there's too much concrete. Yeah. Too much con- plant a tree. Let that be the moral of. Um, this recording of Hooplecast, plant a tree in your neighborhood. <laughs> Carol, if you're going to do drugs, plant a tree. <laughs> um, Carol, before yeah. you disappear again, yeah. what's your rating for the premiere of The Wire? I liked it. I thought there was a lot of really subtle good stuff going on, um, and a lot of it was mentioned in the feedback. I'd give it 8.5 out of 10 bureaucratic shitstorms. Cool. Mel. <laughs> Sorry, you, when you said earlier about Nancy Reagan being wrong, it just reminded me we just watched Glow, and they have a scene where uh, they're snorting cocaine off a picture of the Reagans. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was delightful. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I I think I would probably have to watch until episode 5 to get hooked on the show, because this first episode didn't do it for me. So I feel like everybody's probably right, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 10 beshitted careers. <laughs> that was a line, right? Was it? <laughs> I think so. Somebody said they I, had a beshitted career. <laughs> I, I, I think they were talking, yeah, I think they were talking to uh, McNulty. Yeah, I thought that was Yeah, yeah. By the way, I would watch it. I'd like to watch more of it. I have to answer that How many part. other shows? How many other shows? Yeah. <laughs> Well, sir, me, what you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, I agree. I just wasn't impressed by the, fir- the the first episode, especially after everyone hyping the show up. I know it takes more episodes to get into it, but there's just so many cop shows. I don't think I'm gonna give it, you know, any more of my time, uh, unless somebody on the show is a secret serial killer. Um, yeah. Although that season with the kids does sound kind of interesting. But... Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that season will... Uh, yeah, that one. When I watch <laughs> more of this, I'm going to watch it with an eye of, can you watch this like this one season in isolation? And yeah. have a, and then I'll let you know. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, it's just... It was too hard to follow for me. Um, and I kept zoning out. And I don't know. I'll give it a... Five out of ten harmonica sandwiches. Mm. Mm. <laughs> T- tasty. <laughs> bluesy. Tastes bluesy. Mm. Average is out to a seven. Not too bad. Not too bad. Probably a lot of people who are like, oh, fuck this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to that. Yeah. We know. The internet hates uh, your Twin Peaks podcast. <laughs> uh, your opinion is invalid. Because you just don't, you guys, you just don't understand. <laughs> you just can't appreciate his genius. It's intentionally that, unwatchable. Genius? No, I can't appreciate my No, David Lynch is genius. It, it's, he made it intentionally bad. Don't you understand? 
That's what makes it so great. Yeah. That's bad. We're not worthy of this entertainment. All right, moving on. <laughs> you guys are bitter. <laughs> yeah, I... Um, okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> series that we will be discussing is Carnival, which ran for two seasons, 24 episodes from 2003 to 2005. We'll be talking about the pilot episode called Milfay, which aired September 14th, 2003, written by Daniel Knopf, directed by Rodrigo Garcia. I'm getting out the old spinner. The old old spinner on my Android phone. It's so old. (laughs) (laughs) You're basically using a typewriter for a spinner. (laughs) Here it goes. Can you put liquid paper if it's my name? <laughs> oh, 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 it is the guest. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. Will, William, William. He ran away. Everybody keeps running away. away. He's shirking Down his here, sorry. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, now he's going to die. He's going to, yeah. like, death. Do <laughs> you, got the, do, do you was... have the lung butter? <laughs> <laughs> I have popcorn lung, yeah. And you have a shovel full of dust in your lungs. Um, Got that now, this dust is the one that you. I don't. Um, Puck, did you, did lungs you watch? Did you, I hope you watched it, Will. Did you at least watch the show? I did. All right. Well, you got 60 seconds to tell us what happened in the pilot. Okay. And uh, just say uh, stop when you're done. Just say done or the end. Okay. Uh, the end. Going on. Th- <laughs> no, you don't want to be a chump. You don't want to okay. be a lung butter chump. You're going on okay. three. Two, one, go. Okay, so the arm comes out and talks to us about God creating Earth. Um, arm. And, <laughs> and we meet this boy called Ben Hawkins in Oklahoma, and his mom is dying, and she does die. Um, and the carny comes along, and they help him bury the mom, and he joins the carnival. And 
Uh, we meet a lot of interesting carnies, uh, Sophia and Rita Sue and all those people, and they have a jolly good time. Um, he stops Sophia from being assaulted. Um, he ends up joining the carnival and helping out, and he gives a girl her legs back, his ability to walk. Uh, but also in California, there's brother Justin and his sister. Can't remember her name. And he... Um, uh, makes coins come out of a lady's mouth <laughs> and he makes it rain blood, I guess, and that's the end. <laughs> One minute and three seconds. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh well. <laughs> Valiant effort. I think I got every most everything. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, we were like looking up the uh, when Matt looked up the description for uh, the wire, like the episode description on Wikipedia. We also looked up the episode description for Carnival. In the first sentence, just I don't even know how you could come up with a like like it's like ex- trying to explain a show to someone. Like I don't know if you could get them to watch it. Ben Hawkins, a young farmer and chain gang fugitive, suffers strange dreams about a trench war and a tattooed man stalking in a cornfield. Like that's, that's got so random, right? That's not yeah, that's a bad. <laughs> that's that does happen. It does yeah, happen. But, but that that it's is a bad not summary. What the thing is about Well, there's more, but I mean it's it's like just reading the first yeah. sentence, it's like what? <laughs> you should have gone to the IMDB yeah. because I wrote the plot summary for that one. Like, oh, years, yeah, nice. years years back. It's nice. It's on there. Right, I'm going. I also had a carnival website. Too, because yes, guys, I, I was I was super pumped for this show because I saw a couple photos in an issue of Entertainment Weekly, and it's like, oh, it takes place during the Great Depression, and it's about a carnival, a traveling carnival, and there's magic. Like they made a show just for me. <laughs> Matt, that is better. About- that is a better description. I'm reading it right now. <laughs> it's much better. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Matt, you have a thing about Depression era Oklahoma. I think it's a time period that doesn't get explored enough in media. Uh-huh. And... Holy shit. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you guys got super loud all of a sudden. Sorry. Oh. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't mean to. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a romantic time period, and not in like the lovey-dovey sense of romantic, but right. it feels so foreign, yet mysterious. it's the United States. Mysterious. And like you can you can get a sense because of like the limitations of uh, media then, you know, there's like radio, but that there could be something under the surface, sinister, supernatural, um, that people just aren't attuned to. And I just think it's a great um, merging of the time period and the genre, like supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say it's magical realism is how I would define the genre. I could see that. I could see that. I, it's funny because I was raised on stories about Oklahoma and the Depression because that's where my mother was. Um, she would have been seven when this took place. Hmm. And oh. she was in Oklahoma City. Hmm. So who here hasn't seen this series? Just just Carol, so, I guess. I haven't. Yeah. I've just seen me? it twice. Wow, and I oh. lived for it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I, when the pilot was gonna drop that September, I was working at a production company doing like 
grip work. And we were at a convention hall downtown for like a food expo. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Like free food and drink. And, but I gotta, I gotta go. Well, why do you have to go? Because Carnival is going to be on at nine. What's that? Like, what do you mean, what is that? This is the thing I've been waiting for for like two years. <laughs> it's like the most important thing to me. How do you Did not it? care about it as much as I care about it? <laughs> <laughs> Did it live up to your expectations? Uh, it would have been hard not to, I think. Um, I was prepared to like it, you know, um, either you, way, I think. Convinced you were going to like it? It's such my wheelhouse. Mm. And people complain like, oh, I don't know the names of the characters. And like, well, that's Ben. Like, I knew his name before the show started because I followed all the casting and like, yeah, yeah I was I was super ready for it. I don't know, Critic, just, just critics now. hated this show. I, I don't I don't get Did why. They? Like, I really, this this is such a, a more interesting pilot than the Wire. I pilot, thought so too. Yeah, it just there's so many things that are that are presented that are unique that you don't see in any other show. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, when you talk about hard to follow, though, it does take your patience with. I think there's patience with reality and patience with supernatural. Mm. There is like patience with reality and. Carnival is patience with supernatural, and uh, some people seem to have more patience with one and some with the other. Yeah, it depends so, what kind of TV shows you like to watch too, though, right? Like if, like what what do you? It's almost like what kind of books do you like to read mm-hmm. for entertainment? Well, what kind of TV do you like to watch for? Like, is it for realism, for fantasy, a mix of both? Particular, everybody's got different tastes, so because this marries right. history with um supernatural is why i say it's magical realism and not mm-hmm. just supernatural uh right and i like supernatural stuff and i like american history so to see those and and this is a period as i said before is not really represented a lot so no. it it's like the perfect storm and li- in the later episode i think it's like next season um and i don't think this is too spoilery we find out that the dust bowl itself is a supernatural event it's the result of another character's like manifestation of powers and and you could say well it's kind of like they shouldn't take a tragic tragic real life thing and then apply fantasy to it because that could be considered um like improper but i'm gonna like say it's okay because <laughs> i think it's really cool to it's say done that all the time w- though it is. You know, I mean, someone... supernatural things, it, stories and such, it, uh, tragic events are often given supernatural. I mean, most of religion... Well, we lost you again there. I said most of religion does that. Latter-day versions of the vile plagues that reigned on Egypt. The fires that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. Scourges of the Old Testament, yes. But even now, brothers and sisters... Even now, drought and pestilence fester in the very heart of this great land. Titanic sandstorms, the likes of which man has not seen since the days of the prophets. And I ask myself, what are these things? What are they, if not evidence of God's fury? What are they, if not harbingers of the apocalypse? And yet, and yet, as I walked to church today, these troubled thoughts were soothed by a balmy wind. And as I looked out upon the endless acres of rich, untilled earth, I realized, brothers and sisters, that this 
is truly the promised land, and that we are indeed blessed. But let us not forget the less fortunate. Let us not forget that they too were once blessed. And let us not forget that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And like, and like so, so conspiracy theories do that too. They just try to explain away something that is so shocking that why did this happen? You, there has to be a reason, an explanation for it. So they invent this crazy turn of events as to why this particular thing happened when in fact it's just really like a really plain reason, you know? Mundane. It's really mundane, yeah. A certain co-host on the Twin Peaks podcast hates it when they take <laughs> real life things and make elaborations on it. And I can kind of understand his point because there's so much disinformation out there now Mm -hmm. that to watch Mm -hmm. someone kind of spin off reality into into fantasy, it it can be frustrating, which is why it never bothered me before the conspiracy theories on the X-Files, but then watching the most recent season, having heard some, you know, um, who's that? Alex Jones on the radio. Yeah. Just invent things. You just feel that it reinforces that type of behavior. It reinforces ignorance. Yeah. No, I don't really think that saying that the Dust Bowl was caused by magic powers is, like, the worst thing. Because it's that's weather and it was so long ago and and whatever. It should be obvious that it's not real, you know, that it's it's, it's, it's fantasy. It is fantasy. And and I just, um, I like like the whole concept. I like... I like everything about this show, and I like uh, the fact that it's in a carnival, because I think carnivals and circuses are super cool. Mm. Well, I I thought it was really interesting, especially hearing you talk about it right now, the way you were... One of the things that I noticed was that they brought a, a, a religious element into an era when, like a modern era, when you could have all this magical religion going on um, and have it very grounded in the time. I mean, there are times when you could have it now in places, but it has a different... Mm-hmm. Are you saying... Because um, you're, you're kind of breaking up. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. You are too, for me. Okay. Are you Go saying, that, you saying? Um, that the characters on this are more ready to believe in religion? Oh, yeah. Okay. And they're more ready to believe in in unusual religious experiences. Um, yeah, I keep thinking of my mom. My mom is going. You know, she's she's losing her sense of reality at this time. Um, but she has always had a different kind of spiritual outlook on the world than most people. And so I was sitting down with her the other day, and she was telling me about how. You know, the different trees are, have been talking to her and telling her what's been going on and all of this stuff. And, you know, that's not terribly unusual for her because, you know, she had a huge 200-year-old apple tree in her backyard that she used to just, you know, she if Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody came to the door, she'd say, oh, you want to meet my ch- come to my church? Come on to the backyard. Let me introduce you to my tree. And uh, they never came back. Um <laughs> But, you know, she was totally serious and, you know, she she would talk about how during the 30s, you know, she would walk down to, you know, the tent meetings and, you know, mostly for the music. And she would, you know, she'd go to the, the, 
camp meetings and, you know, the, um, you know, basically all of these very evangelical religious Christian, you know, things that were, that would be going around and kind of like their own little carnival. And, um, you know, it was a very, very basic part of, of the lives of the people in that area at that time. And it still is in some cases. I mean, you know, when we, when we've gone down there, it's been a long time since I've been there, but uh, it's definitely, you turn on the radio and half the stations are talking about, you know, come to God. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This pilot was definitely chock-a-block with hymns. Like, we mm-hmm. got two mm-hmm. of them in, like, the first ten minutes. Yeah. Definitely yeah. the, the hymn-to-running-time ratio is much higher on this show than all the previous shows we've watched. Yeah. yeah. I must admit, one of the, <laughs> I was pulled out of the story a little bit when you talk about the historical stuff because right at the beginning when they went to Oklahoma and was it 33 or 32 or 34? I don't remember. It was, it was 34 and you guys made fun of me last time. Cause I got the 34. year wrong. <laughs> really? Okay. Um, I, think I, I think I didn't know what year the world war one or two ended or whatever. Anyway. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry, Carol. Go ahead. I feel, I feel bad. Um, anyway, so they say Oklahoma in nineteen thirty four, and they showed the dust storm. And first, of all, it was kind of hmm, okay. I mean, parts of Oklahoma must be brown, but a lot of it is red. And uh, and they were inside the house, and there was like not no dust coming through under the windows, and the they the didn't words. have anything. I didn't see anything coming in through the windows and stuff. Or they did. There, huh? there was a shot specifically that showing like a little bit of dust coming through the windows. Mm-hmm. Oh, I missed that. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I know that you know my mom used to talk about a lot about how cloud off in the distance and they would start putting you know wet towels down on you know every windowsill and under every door and even after all of that as soon as it left they just started washing everything in the house because everything had dust all over it Gross. yeah mm-hmm. they, they would just it would just come right through anyway even if no matter how much you tried to seal up the house and they lived in a house with like a real house not a you know not what that poor little thing was mm. there's an episode later that culminates in a dust storm the yeah. effects are really good People just get caked with it. I mean, people are pretty pretty yeah. dirty this episode. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took me out of it a little bit, but you know, I kept I kept coming back in. But there was a piece of me that's like, ah, it should be red, and oh, mm. and I I felt like my mom when we saw uh, last picture show, and it was all in black and white, and we we're sitting there in the in the movie theater, and I suddenly hear her say, oh, this would be so beautiful in color. And meanwhile, of course, everyone's looking at it. Oh, my God, the devastation is horrible. And my mm-hmm. mom's just like, oh, home. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> <laughs> Memories. Oh, it would be so But Mel is right. There was, there was a scene or like a very brief shot of the window shaking and dust coming through the... Okay. Yeah, All right. I, um, and again, take, trying to take notes. Probably missed it. I still think that these main titles are the best that of an HBO show. People, I mean, yeah, Game of Thrones is pretty great. But to me, zooming in and out of these tarot cards into historical footage is beautiful. And I wish I could see it in like 3D or something. It would be so cool. And I wanted I wanted that tarot deck. Everyone wanted that to be an actual tarot deck that you could buy. But alas, it never was. 
It is a very pretty show, though. Like, it, despite it being, like, kind of devastating and stuff, it's very, like, it's very pretty. It, it was uh, it was very interesting titles, I have to admit. Who does, so, the, who does the main theme again? I mean, who wrote the theme? The composer. Well, Jeff Beale did the score yeah. for the show, but okay. he didn't do the main title song. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. someone else did that. Well, yeah, his, his other music, though, is very, um, it's very distinctive. Like, it's very, like, uh, easily identified as his music. And, like, when Doesn't I first... Did do House of Cards? Yeah, when yeah. I first heard House of Cards music, I was like, this sounds like Carnival. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. I guess another reason for me to go back and watch House of Cards. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jeff Beale's score is amazing. And, of course, yeah. I bought the soundtrack. And uh, I will listen to it on occasion. And I can just, like, replay the scenes in my head. And the the, the music doesn't get enough credit. On this show, I mean, people talk about great TV music. They often mention uh, music from Lost as being like the best score. Or remember the music from yeah. Lost? It's it's got remember. like one. It's got one really great theme, and I can't remember much about it. Battlestar Galactica has some fantastic music, also. I think that that and Carnival have like the two best TV soundtracks. Oh, I guess Twin Peaks too. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I love Twin Peaks. Though. Also, the incidental music. On this, like uh, you got your um, you got your Cab Calloway, your Duke Ellington, your Mildred Bailey, all this you know old fashioned thirties forties music. Uh-huh. It's like I love this. I love that. Love that music. It's kind of like really corny music, but I like it nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. Well, I liked the music very much, but um, I thought it was really interesting when. I mean, I thought they did a good introduction of titles and the little monologue that whatever the guy's name is. I didn't get pretty much almost anybody's name in this Samson. at all. Samson. His name is Samson, played by Michael okay. J. Anderson, from no, noted best from Twin Peaks. Okay. Um, Julie is crazy now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too bad. It's insane. Huh? He kind of went crazy. Did he? He's like oh, anti-Semitic yeah. and stuff. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad, yeah. Before the beginning, after the great war between heaven and hell, God created the earth and gave dominion over it to the crafty ape he called man. And to each generation was born a creature of light and a creature of darkness. And great armies clash by night in the ancient war between good and evil. There was magic then, nobility, and unimaginable cruelty. And so it was, until the day that a false sun exploded over Trinity, and man forever traded away wonder for reason. So I know a little trivia about this, that introduction that they were going to film it in different ways. One of the ways that they thought about doing it was showing him in old age makeup, like in a retirement home. But then eventually they just decided, eh, mm. put him in front of a black backdrop and just have him talk. Simple. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, sorry, Kyle, I, what did you I, think I about was, this? No, I thought, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, it started out with very kind of uh, what he was saying seemed very normal, you know, religious stuff that, you know, you kind of heard before and okay. And I'm following along with, you know, what he's saying and I'm kind of 
putting it to, to different belief systems and, you know, following. And then at the very end, and I wrote it down because it was like, huh? Uh, okay. At the very end, he ends it with a false sun exploded over, tr- over Trinity and mankind exchanged wonder for reason. And I was like, okay, what so, false sun? What do you think that is? Did you come to a conclusion? No. <laughs> um, a false sun exploded over Trinity. Does Trinity mean it? Okay, well, like, sun, I feel like, okay. I feel like I'm a teacher. Right. Like, okay, so let's coax it out okay, of you. <laughs> wait, a wait a second. Okay, so sun, I was thinking S-U-N, but if it's S-O-N, then that would be Jesus, perhaps, oh, over the oh, Trinity. Almost, oh, you almost had it. Father, Son, Holy <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> I was about to give you a gold star. <laughs> no, no. Um, a false sun exploded over Trinity and wonder exchanged for reason. Okay, so false sun would have to be be reason because they're saying wonder exchanged for reason. So the false sun would have to be something to do with someone bringing reason. But tons of people have brought reason over the centuries. I mean, Galileo? Um, it's funny because we kind of had – I sent my feedback into the Twin Peaks podcast last time quoting this because they – they do something in the Twin Peaks episode, most recent one, that was very evocative and reminiscent of this kind of concept in Carnival's mythology. So I'm just going to tell you yeah, uh, please that um, Trinity refers to the Trini- the, the atomic bomb tests. Um, oh. Trinity was, I, I think, the location in uh, New Mexico, maybe? Oh, okay. New Mexico. There was some in Arizona, some in New Mexico. It was called the Trinity Test, and it was in Los Alamos. Okay. The Trinity Test at 5.30 a.m. on July 16th, 1945, Los Alamos scientists detonated a plutonium bomb at a test site on the U.S. Air Force Base in Alamogordo, New Mexico, some 120 miles south of Albuquerque. Okay. So, All right. All right. The so, famous, like, so the yeah. false sun is sun the, be- the atomic bomb. Basically saying that at that moment, magic stopped. Mm-hmm. Science began. Like mm-hmm. you can, like there's a clear delineation between magic and the age, the age of magic and the age of science when that bomb happened, which I think is a super cool idea. Yeah. Such a hard line to draw. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what happened, folks. <laughs> yeah. Magic died that day. Uh huh. There were no more. Each generation okay. is born a creature of light and a creature of darkness. Not after that. It ends. So I will tell you that the show, because I'm an expert, guys. I don't know if you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may have listened to some commentaries and I may have read some things. I might get some things wrong. This could be bad information. Uh, I'm not responsible if it's wrong. <laughs> How about that? Disclaimer. Uh, the show was supposed to be six seasons and each, every two seasons was like the first half of a book and the second half of a book. So it was going to be like book one, book two, book three. So because there were two seasons, we got book one of three Mm. and it was going Mm. to end in 1945 with the atomic bomb test. Like that was going to be like, I don't know if it's going to be like the last episode, the last scene or whatever, but that was going to be the, the goal line. So there were, would have been some time jumps along the way. And this thing seems like it was all planned out, like, meticulously from the start to the storyline. Like, having seen the whole thing and then watching this first episode again. Like, there's something that happens, like, when Sophie touches Ben's arm and you see Justin. 
you don't understand what that is until you watch the very last episode of season two. Right. Yeah. So this show got a lot of comparisons to Twin Peaks, and that always felt lazy to me, just because Michael J. Anderson was in both shows, and there was some dream imagery. Mm. I never saw much of a connection. Like To me, this is more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer than Twin Peaks, because this is supernatural mm-hmm. and i always and, and now and now the most recent season of twin peaks is more like carnival but seasons one of two of twin peaks like it was really skirting around the edges of the supernatural so i never saw the i never felt like the comparison was fair yeah having just seen one episode of this um i do understand what you're saying because twin peaks never <sighs> twin peaks implied that there was weird stuff but it never really went there never confirmed it certainly but this i mean your first episode you've got people who can bring stuff back from the dead you've got a bunch of different psychics um i mean supposedly management is psychic and knows what's going on in the world so does um the blind fellow um he's apparently a true psychic so is sophie with her Mother, I assume that's her mother, mm-hmm. who's just, you know, who's lying there talking yeah. to her all the time without ever speaking and being able to knock tarot cards off the table. So, I mean, you've got all kinds of different things that are shown right away to be, you know, magic is real. Right. And lots of different kinds of magic. So Matt's point about everything being planned out, there is a series Bible that was released on the internet by the creator after the show ended. And... It's very dense, and I mean, a lot of it sounds strange and may not have translated well to the screen, but I, I it was planned out, and like the dream sequences that we have in this, I think they do a good job of kind of showing that Ben and Justin are connected, even though they are in different states and different ages, um, that, that connects them, the dreams. Yeah. And all those little flashes, those images, are from future episodes. Okay. And everything pays off. Now, it doesn't, I'm not going to say that it always pays off in the most, like, the best way, that it's not muddled, that it's not, that it's not, like, you know, I mean, some of it doesn't work, but there's thought behind it. It's very deliberate. They're not doing things haphazard and saying, here's a weird thing we're going to do just to make it fucking weird. Like, it's, it's, it's a very thoughtful show in that regard. So when I compare this to, like, the latest season of Twin Peaks, which feels kind of, like, haphazard, I think that this is a pretty, like, linear show, like, plot-wise. Plot it goes on That's a pretty a, linear path. It's interesting. Would you agree huh. with that, Matt and Mel? You've seen the entire thing. Would you say that this is a, uh, that it's kind of linear in terms of storytelling? That's not too... Yeah. I mean, it, it seems it's weird, but... Linear, it's hard to know what's happening at times, but I think it's just the... Like, it's been a while since I've seen the whole thing, right? So I don't really remember all of it. But but I do remember like all these crazy random images. I'm pretty sure, yeah. but it most is, if not all of them are paid off. Yeah, it, it makes it eventually makes sense, you know. Like, I don't explain what it all means. Yeah. So in Carnival, the return. Will we just not spend any time with the carnival? It'll all be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they wanted to bring it back in the comic book form. But HBO said no. That was my understanding. Oh, Again, this could really? been, this this could be wrong. That one of the comic book houses wanted to, they like they were interested in it, and HBO was like, no, you don't have the rights to that. You can't do that. Um, I've also heard that 
the producers of the show wanted to go to Comic Con in San Diego, uh, but HBO said, "No, we don't go to Comic Con. We don't comic book fans. That's not our base. We're presti- We're a prestigious." network hmm. we had the sopranos six feet under sex in the city like we don't have to beg people to watch our stuff people will just watch our stuff and we don't want to associate with the comic book geekdom thing like that's not our demographic you're not going to comic-con then comic-con becomes this big thing and all of a sudden you know true blood's there and game of thrones is there and now you have to go to comic-con yeah but right. i think hbo really had their heads up their asses in terms of they don't want to they didn't want to promote it they didn't want to appeal to certain people. They just thought if they put it on the air, people would watch it. But mm-hmm. this show premiered before Lost, before Battlestar Galactica, before these big shows that were like genre shows that – like mystery box shows that people wanted to solve. Yeah. This so was you, before that. So you think if it came out later, it would have done okay? I think it would have done better, yeah. I mean, or it's still perhaps- an expensive show. I'm always I'm always reminded of this show every time I go on Skype just because Daniel Knopf's on my Twitter or not my Twitter my Skype mm-hmm. <laughs> I see him on my Skype contacts list because we interviewed him interviewed him one one time. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think we're friends on Facebook, and I see him post stuff, and he has some political views that don't align with mine. Oh, <laughs> but, oh. Uh, damn old white men. Yeah. Um, so, uh, serious some more fun. F- I'll just get all the trivia that I know about this, like, out of the way. Uh, Daniel Knopf, who created the show, had limited show running experience at the time. So, HBO said, uh, we don't trust you to run the show that you created by yourself. So, we're going to partner you with an experienced showrunner. So, they brought on Ronald D. Moore from Star Trek The Next Generation. And Ron Moore, uh, was like a partner for the first season and then left after the end of the first season and then went and did Battlestar Galactica. And now he's doing Outlander. Mm. And my understanding is that Ronald Moore had like a bad time doing this show. Like he probably felt like he was, um, he couldn't do what he wanted and he was handicapping other people doing what from they wanted. Like he was like the wet blanket saying, no, you can't do this, do this, do this. Yeah. That's my, like, I don't know. Maybe he, Maybe that's not true, but he was definitely like a co-partner in the first season, and that's kind of why the second season has a little bit of a different feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also know that they reshot the pilot, and they added the Dreyfus family, which is the mom, dad, and the two daughters who do the cooch dancing. <laughs> they had a carnival consultant who said, yeah, you got most of the things right, but you need to add sex. There, these carnivals had a sex component to them. Mm-hmm. And that's when they added the family of the Cooch dancers, who have some pretty major story arcs in subsequent episodes. Um, it's really yeah. difficult to imagine the show without them. Yep, uh, I think one of the most tragic story arcs involved. All right, enough of that. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, gonna, yeah. They also added uh, brother Justin's sister Iris, and from my understanding, that Justin was farther along in his storyline uh, in the initial pilot. But they decided to scale him back and say, we kind of want you to be where Ben is, sort of like not understanding your powers at, at this moment. So they regressed him and to give him more of an arc. And then they added the sister. And that's played by Iris. She's played by Amy Madigan. And uh, I have a problem with Iris as a character. Um, she feels like such an afterthought. She she flits her motivations and uh, allegiances and... yeah kind of at the whims of the plot and I, don't, I can never get a, I never get a hold of her character. I don't remember liking her too much either. But what you yeah. said about regressing his character, I assume you just mean they 
Like, like I noticed, like it's hard to tell if Justin knows what's happening around him when yeah. crazy stuff happens. So I assume that's what you mean by they regressed his character. Well, yeah, his knowledge, also his yeah. alignment, because they say a creature of light and a creature of dark, and well, they don't really say who's who. You yeah, know, and you, you could totally see like what Justin is doing with the coins as a bad thing. Well, and it, then, is he even doing it? He's, yeah, he's confused like, by it. Yeah, like that thing happening, you could see that as a bad thing, but then he's a priest, which is supposed to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, according to some people. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, you get, like, Ben, who's, like, you know, healing this little girl, but then he's killing their vegetable garden while doing it. (laughs) And he's an escaped convict, but then he looks like he, you know, he Mm -hmm. came back because his mother was dying. So, you know. I I think that's... that's that's a, a question like for, very muddled. for a little while is who's, yeah. who's the good one, who's the evil one. Yeah. <laughs> I like the ambiguity of that. Yeah. But I can understand that if, if you don't set up villains for people, then that can make it difficult for them to engage with the show. I think that's, I don't think it's a problem, but I can understand that that's a barrier if they don't have someone they can root against. And some of a lot of the ambiguity goes away in the second season, which means that the second season is more plot driven. Yeah. Um, but I like the pace of the first season. I like how it ambles around certain paths and does like little side stories. Like there's a whole like arc in like the middle. It's like almost like a two parter in the middle of the show, like episodes five and six that it's like its own little story almost. And it relates to the overall mythology, but I like that. I like when it, when shows take little detours and into places and season two kind of like comes out guns blazing and to to the end so it's a different feel i have a question so, for you i missed yeah. an awful lot because i had some more internet problems uh who are you thinking was set up as a bad guy i'm saying they didn't really set up a bad guy oh okay because i didn't notice anybody as bad guy i was confused um the the kid was supposed to ben hawkins was supposed to have had a um a thing on his leg from being in jail or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see that though. They did show the other guy who is from another show that I know, but the, the guy that had the brace on his leg having yeah. a chain on his leg. He's got a brace, a leg brace. He had a leg brace and they showed a close up, and you could see the leg brace and there was a chain and it was like, wait a minute. I mean, is that Ben's leg with the chain? or it, It's a very brief shot, but oh. they do show Jonesy looking down and seeing the the ankle irons around Ben's ankles. Maybe, maybe what it was very was brief. just the way the shot was shot. It looked like they weren't on Ben. It looked like it was on the other guy. Jonesy. Jonesy, I guess. It looked like it was on Jonesy, so I was confused about that, but not terribly confused. I mean, I just kind of went like, you know, they made it clear that the kid had... Um, chain on his leg. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess that was from him. So it wasn't a big deal, but it was just like, huh? Okay, children, let's shake some dust. You can't just leave him. Boyfriend rabbit from a chain gang. He's still sporting ankle iron. Nothing but trouble. Yeah? That's what I said about you. Come on, Ruthie, don't do this. We got nothing open. We different to tater shots. You can have my tater shots. Just to Milfe. Yeah, like...
Let's get him the hell out of here. I didn't really see any problem with there not being a bad guy. No, there's enough going on. I thought that I was intrigued. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was more just trying to figure out who was who in general. Um, I thought the, I was really amazed as one person after another, one actor after another that I knew from different places kept coming on the screen. And mm-hmm. at one point I just wrote amazing cast down there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the guy who plays Ben, is he, did he Nick pass Stahl? away? Yeah, Nick No, Stahl. no, I know he went missing in it from a certain, a certain period of time because he had some drug issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other issue about Ben is that he's the, like a reluctant participant in everything. Mm. Right. And it, it can be frustrating when one of your major characters doesn't propel any plot forward that he's just kind of being buffeted around from place to yeah. place. Mm-hmm. And you want him to have more agency. And I will say that in the second season, he he becomes more active as a but character. You, but you kind of understand why. Reactive. Oh, I completely understand why. Like You know, as soon as they finally show the end... Well, I mean, you kind of understand why at the beginning because of where he is and where he's from. And, he, you know, you're catching the middle of that very horrible part of our history where, you know, farmers are just being thrown off their land all over and and uh, and all of that and his mother dies at the same time and i mean there's nothing good in this kid's life when they first show it to us other than that he's no longer on the chain gang mm-hmm. um but uh is this mom just afraid of him his whole life basically basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. at the death of his mother is maybe a good thing too Mm. because you know she obviously told him he was evil so you'd be be free from that in a way you know and i've talked to i've I've talked to various people from the bible belt or from families you know that have those beliefs who have have had psychic experiences and so forth and so on and and have been told all their lives that they're the child of a dead of the devil and and all of this stuff and um and they really it's you know it's really hard for them to get past that mm-hmm. you know they're raised in a in a in a society where everything is based on being you know child of god and jesus and and all and here they've got family that they love telling them that they're the opposite and it's based on something that they can't control mm. at all. Yeah. So whether it's having psychic experiences or being gay or being, you know, whatever bringing, other thing, bringing dead pets back to life. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, I mean, it really takes a huge psychological and emotional toll on people. And so, her words come out of his mouth later because, I mean, she calls him filth, but he calls them freaks. And he's projecting, like, that same hostility toward people who are different than him. Just like she was on to him, he's like, I don't have anything to do with you freaks. Really, these people are outcasts, and you're an outcast. They should be your family. Right. He doesn't He doesn't know that yet. It'll take him a season and a half. <laughs> so, But he doesn't want to admit that. He doesn't want to see himself that way. He wants, you know, that's... That's the whole, you know, whether it's the the homophobic thing where where people who are, you know, not out of the closet go out of their way to try and make laws that, you know, 
that uh, oppress people who are gay or, you know, you name it. If it cuts too close to the bone, it's a lot of people that react by uh, by going there's, the other direction. There's a lot of class division in this uh, represented in this series. You have uh, the carnies and the townies. Like those those people are, are freaks. Don't associate with them, or we can take advantage of them because they're not really people because they look different. And then you have um, in Justin's storyline the the kind of well-to-do people who go to church and then the migrants who are the okies who are dirty and not as educated and there's a class division there as well that's really fascinating and well explored um just another like shading to this show that i think is full of really rich cool things mel sorry i interrupted you i don't even remember what i was gonna say now oh yeah so when uh ben was making uh like when he revived that kitten, what did like what energy did he take to revive that kitten? Like I'm wondering if he slowly made his mom get sicker and sicker, or if that's why they were just in a barren wasteland because he just basically <laughs> absorbed all the life energies from all around the house. It's a good question. Mm-hmm. That is a good they, question. I they do set up uh, that. To for him to heal, he has to hurt. Like you yeah. see it in the end of the pilot. Like he yeah. heals her leg, the crops die. Like all so, the crops. So if he brings back a cat back to life, did he kill a dog? <laughs> like what happened? Yeah, or like yeah, did something? Like did his mom mm-hmm. all of a sudden get like like pain or something? And that's why uh, she was like, "You're evil," or you know, like some sort of trade. Yeah, yeah. that eh, that's that might be a plot hole that I don't think is answered. Another thing too, I was like thinking, you know, you just doomed this family to starvation by killing <laughs> yeah. this little girl. Yeah. You know, like all of the crops, all of them. <laughs> like as she was running towards the house, everything. Like, is so is this like pestilence going to surround her for the rest of her life now? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't buy that girl could stand up and run that way if she's never that, stood up before. That too. She should have been struggling still. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that uh, her one leg was stiff and all, but I'm like, okay, so she's never walked, but, but she can run with a stiff leg. Yeah. And it's, you know. Well, she's seen other people right? run. <laughs> miracle, right? <laughs> Hey, and yeah. I've seen other people juggle, so that must mean I can juggle too. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> just Check in, mate. Plot holes. I want to. I want to. Since she's never walked before, I just want her to like walk off like uh, John Cleese in the Ministry of si- uh, Silly Walks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would have kept the right tone to the thing. <laughs> or she's just face planted in the middle of the walk and then fade to black. It would they could have had they could have had her, you know, being able to move her legs and you know, kind of trying to get out of the, you know, they, they could have done more subtly. But I assume they wanted something dramatic and to show how much devastation there was around her. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool moment, and again, the music is really cool in that moment too. I, I love the score again. And uh, the cinematography. I, I mean, I love everything about this show. Let's be frank. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, the the cinem- cinematography, gorgeous. The sets, the costumes, the props, the effects, the music, like like everything. Um, I can't remember, Matt. Was your first interaction with hearing 
uh, Mel and I Carney cast or was it uh, Briscoe? It would have been Carney cast. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was Carney yeah. cast. Like who are we those did, we Canadians? We didn't hear from you until Briscoe, right? Yeah, you didn't. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right, but I I listened to Carney cast. I and I've said before that I would have done a Carnival pa- podcast had you guys not done Carney cast. Mm. But since you had, we did Deadwood instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one uh, other thing that I know about the production on this show is that in the first season, they used to pick up the set and move it around Los Angeles Valley to different to get different locations to look like the carnival was actually traveling. That's cool. But it proved too expensive. So one just one of the ways they cut costs in season two was to just park the set in one spot and kind of shoot more creatively, I guess. Mm. Or use like recycled stock footage of the. This is the Ferris wheel in front of this mountain. You know. Yeah. Color, color mm-hmm. the sky different digitally or something. They could also like um, have two sets, one completed and one dismantled, and then they shoot where they need to to be. But I know they did a lot of outdoor shooting. Yeah. Obviously, inside the caravans and tents, those are sound stages. Mm. But. Um, it was an expensive show to produce. It looks expensive. Mm-hmm. I wish this was on Blu-ray. Um, not? It's not. No, mm. it's not. Isn't that disappointing? HBO <laughs> likes to pretend this show never existed, which is why it's not on their website. You can't buy merchandise for from it. It wasn't on HBO Go for like the longest time. Uh, they they pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. They're like mm. embarrassed by this show. That's kind of a shame. Mm. Weird. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Just. I mean, it looks I'm, like a, a very again. It looks like a quality show um, from the first episode. It's probably just a victim of circumstance, you know. Just I don't know if they're embarrassed because they think it's a bad show, or because they think it's, or they're they're <laughs> sad that they canceled it and they don't want anyone to remind. They don't want to remind anyone that they a, did. It was a I don't want to say it's, failure, it's, but commercial. It's a, yeah, it's a failure they, by they commercial thought of it as a failure. Yeah. And their... critics were very harsh on this show. They didn't like it at all. What, what, would their, what was their reasoning that they didn't like it? Too pretentious. Really? I, I heard pretentious a lot. What? Really? really? And, and yeah. Twin Peaks. Huh. Really? Pretentious. That's, that's pretentious. interesting. Twin Peaks is genius, Mel. <laughs> um, I just don't know how just... one thing can be pretentious and another thing, like, you know, one genius. thing that's trying to be artistic, but then another because... thing that's trying to be artistic... I don't because understand. Because, because if it's super, super hard to understand and no one understands it, it means people are afraid that they'll be called stupid if they admit it. So they're like, it's genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're talking the new season of Twin Peaks is like, what, 12 years later, 15 years later? Uh, mm. What? It's oh, taste taste change. Yeah. yeah, then when Carnival. Carnival was 2003 and now it's 2017. So. We've had years worth of TV shows kind of in the same ballpark doing mm. doing similar things and some succeeding and some failing. But I think at the time they're just like, this kind of sh- this show's different. It's like Twin Peaks. It's not. It's not that good. Yeah. It's trying too hard to be different. Yeah. It's really not. It's pretty straightforward. Once you get past the dream stuff in the first two episodes, it goes down a pretty, pre- not predictable path, but like a sensible path. Yeah. I think. There's stuff that's not explained, but then it does get explained. Yeah, it's linear for sure. Balls I, don't I, get yeah. really don't get dropped on this show. Yeah, I don't really remember being left out in the cold trying to understand something for too long. Mm. That's good Over to hear because I mean, I I really resent shows that lead you down a path and then just like, okay, 
you know, we're not going to answer your questions. We, we built it all up and then we're just going to leave you there. I, I really like it when they give you little answers as you go. You don't have to give me the whole thing all at one time. You don't have to spell it out for me. But if there's, you know, like, for instance, in this first episode, by the end, you have a pretty good idea of what the connections are. You don't know how they're going to end up together or why they're connected. But you know what the kid's story is. You know that there's some kind of a connection between the minister in California and this group of people specifically the kid but also more than the kid um there's i don't know was there it seems like uh maybe management knows has a connection there too yep management is a very important piece yeah because he or she or it, it knew that that the kid needed to come with them so it seems like there's a connection between management and the minister and this kid Somehow. There's another corporate hierarchy management. <laughs> yep. Yep. Talk to management about the heck? Yeah, I talked to him. $34.87 in the kitty. We're already choking on the nut. Last thing we need is another belly to wash. You know what he says? He was expected. Expected? What the hell is that supposed to mean? I stopped asking that question a long time ago. You just, uh, you're all assuming that management is a real thing. As I said, or it. You mean that, that Samson, it is, that it is, Samson is management? You mean Samson? That there, is a, that there is a management. Right. So, I mean, yeah, Samson could, because everybody keeps asking if they've talked to Sam, Samson's talked to him. Yeah, I've talked to him. So, you know, I mean, Samson could be management and just you know pretending in that a lot of people might not want to listen to somebody who is small especially in those days a lot of the fun of watching the show was getting on the internet after episodes aired and discussing them and trying to unpack imagery and piece together the mythology eventually Mm -hmm. the show does it all for you but Mm -hmm. when it was on at the time when you're watching it week to week you wanted to talk about it with other people to make sense of it. And mm-hmm. for me, that's always fun. I used to do that with Millennium all the time. Wow. And the X-Files to a lesser extent. But I can, you know, if you're not willing to put in the extra curricular work, um, maybe it's less satisfying. I don't know. Now, the kid is having, he's having dreams, but this minister is actually having visions, not to mention a woman vomiting quarters. I assume that was real they seem to be sharing the dream yeah they seem to yeah you're right because he wakes up they're listening this is a little bit of a historical inaccuracy but after justin has that same dream that ben does of a guy being chased through a cornfield he wakes up and they're listening to the radio they're listening to the shadow but that show uh, that episode of the shadow didn't air until 1938 and the show takes place in 1934 so it's about four Mm -hmm. years too early Uh or he's got a radio that can listen to the future Mm -hmm. yeah which is kind of amazing there right there uh but then he has he act i mean he actually did take the walk to that place but then had the vision about the snow and the blood Mm -hmm. or was that all a dream too i think it's a vision yeah yeah it seemed like it was Um. a vision 
that he had in an actual place. And I think on a lesser show, that would just be a thing that happened. But in this, it like it's episode two, like it spurns a plot point, a pretty major plot point. So he his character, I would say, gets the short straw in this episode because he's only in that one scene at the beginning, and then the thing at the end when he walks past the migrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a like he doesn't even get dialogue in that scene, and Iris doesn't get dialogue either. But he has enough to do in the subsequent episodes. Yeah, it's just this good. one where he's kind of minor here. It's Clancy Brown. I think he might have been one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this show, and plus it was just there. <laughs> it's one of the I love to watch. Yeah, yeah. I've loved him since Earth Two. Oh, Earth Two! I remember yeah. that show. I love that show. Oh, I um, I don't remember that one. I know I've seen him in so many things, and I don't remember what. I mean, he's been in everything, hasn't he? Plus, more great music when he's taking that walk. You hear what Claire liked to call the wonky trumpet. Listen to Carney Cast. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a Jeff Beal state. It's <laughs> <laughs> reading some of the neutral to negative reviews of the show, and yeah, I've seen the word pretentious twice. And slow, bloated. <laughs> speeds up. Definitely yeah, speeds up. it does. Um, and I'm sure there are people who like liked the pace of the first episode, and they were disappointed probably that it got a little more conventional as it went along. Um, the because the pilot feels a little different than later episodes. Feels a little more detached. Mm-hmm. Then we start to really get into the nitty gritty of like running the carnival. Like we get a little bit of it when Samson talks about only having um $34 and 87 cents in the kitty, which I looked up is $636 and 85 cents in 2017 money. Whoa. So, you know, you get, you get a sense of the, the, how they're struggling to keep the carnival afloat and how the communities that they're visiting are struggling and, Later on, there's an episode where they go to a town, and the town's like, you're just here to fleece the people. We know what you carnies are about. You come in here, and then you just take everyone's money, and they need the money to live. Like, okay, you know. So there's... I like the stuff. I like everything about running the carnival and putting on a show. I like movies and TV shows where they're putting on productions, like stage stuff. Anything with a theater. Orphan Black. (laughs) Yeah, putting on a musical. Or the show... um, God, what's it called? Uh, the Canadian one that's like about Stratford. Um, oh, um, yeah. There's a podcast I haven't seen about it. it. Paul Mackey right, does exactly. It. <laughs> um, I haven't every, seen it. But, um, every season they I, do a different uh, Shakespeare play, and the first one is Macbeth. Hamlet. Oh, Hamlet. Yeah, I can't remember I mean, the name it, of it. It could have been Hamlet or Macbeth. Um, I tried to. I tried to see it, and a friend of mine was hooking me up with uh, with you know some. Um, hmm, how can I put this? Some recordings of it. Slings and uh, arrows. Slings and arrows. I was and I I didn't get a chance to watch them and then it was just yeah. It it's nowhere to be found. Um That's too bad. Legally. I, yeah. I've heard that it's based on the Shakes on the Stratford Festival in Stratford, Ontario, and I used to go there as a kid, like every other year. My my parents would take me up to see the Stratford to uh, you know, whatever plays and musicals they were producing and yeah. So that was fun for me, but I like anything to do with like the theater and um, that kind of stuff. So there's that appeal. Um, I mean, the show has that appeal to me as well, you know, for me as well, the theatrical aspect of it yeah. and the magic and the supernatural and the time period and the music. Um, let's, uh, let's look at Harold's feedback because he's never seen kinda, it. He, well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> 
<laughs> um, I guess we'll have Mel read this one as well. Sure. She's our go. She's our go-to. I'm I'm the go-to. The less you talk uh, during the podcast, the more feedback you have to read. Is kind of how I do it here. If I can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Right, Sorry, Mel. You have a lot to say. You know. Fucking love this show. It. Yeah. <laughs> All right, from Harold. You know that by now. Yeah, well, I'm wearing my I'm wearing my carnival hat right now. Aww, the Aww, one that Matt my... saved Aww. when we went on that hike. I was gonna say that the one Matt saved. <laughs> Thank goodness, yeah. it was I've just got... this particular moment that he saved. Uh huh. I'd run serendipity. Run up and down a mountain to save it. Aww. Yeah, thanks. You're a mensch. hero. <laughs> uh, I had I have some framed carnival posters. Uh, I've, my prize possession is my Ferris wheel clock radio. It's not a clock radio. It's just a radio. I don't know why I said it's a clock. It's a radio, but it's a Ferris wheel. That's cool. And, um, well, I got some tarot cards, but they're not the ones for the main titles. I've got a little puzzle that came in a tin box. That was like a giveaway that they did for like cable companies. Hmm. Um, oh, I have, I've got a really cool t-shirt. That's a fan made t-shirt. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can find I'm going to, I'm just going to link to it in this guy. Cause I got them all on, on the site here. Should I start reading? Oh uh, yeah. If you want to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, from Harold. I had never seen Carnival before. I vaguely recall that when it originally aired that I had received the impression either from the trailer or reviews that this was a show that was weird for the sake of being weird. Kind of like a bad David Lynch impersonation. So I was surprised to watch this and realize that none of this was true. Aww. If anything, it reminds me a bit of Deadwood. If the characters on Deadwood were taciturn and didn't talk so much, and if it had religious and mystical elements to it. Hmm. As of this writing, I have now watched the first season. Oh. <laughs> so it definitely... Definitely passed the would I watch another episode test. Mm -hmm. The first episode felt more like a movie than a television pilot. It puts you into wor a world and it didn't feel like it was in a rush to introduce characters. They took a gamble that the audience would be interested in the story and setting more than the characters, which is a bit unusual. Com compare this to the Six Feet Under pilot in which characters are constantly talking about themselves and the other cast members. No one in Car Carnival ever says anything like, my mother is a control freak. My brother is also a control freak. My sister is like me when I was younger on the wild side. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing shade at six feet under. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find out what these people are about, you're going to have to keep watching and pay close attention. I have to say that healing the lame girl at the end felt like a cheat. Like the sh showrunners didn't have enough faith in the audience to follow a story about carny folk and Dust Bowl migrants making their way through the Great Depression, so they had to throw something mystical into it. I guess I've gotten over that so far, as the mysteries behind Brother Justin, Hawkins, Professor Lodes, and management have given a narrative thrust to the first season, but I'm still kind of interested in a version of the show without that stuff baked into it. In terms of my non-spoilery thoughts on the first season, this is clearly a show that has all the hallmarks of a modern prestige te television show. The acting is strong, it has top-notch cinematography, there is great attention to detail in the sets, costumes, and there are story and character elements. Sorry, the cat's meowing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you do, you put it in a bag, <laughs> and, you hold it on, and you hold it underwater. <laughs> and then after the recording, you just bring it back to life. But in the meantime, you've quieted that cat. 
I feel like that would mess him up even more. <laughs> we don't need to do that to him. Um, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> uh, the sh- okay. The acting is strong. It has top-notch cinematography. There is great attention to detail in the sets, costumes, and there are story and character elements that are developed over the course of the season, and others that would seem to be designed to be developed over the course of multiple seasons if it got that far. What it does lack compared to other prestige shows of this era are compelling leads, memorable dialogue, and humor. I never felt the same sort of investment in the characters to create the type of tension that I felt when I was worried about whether Tony Soprano would get arrested or if Don Draper would win an office power struggle. So definitely a good quality show, leagues above Maximum Security or Marlowe, but not necessarily one that should go to the top of the queue if you haven't seen the other critical darlings. Disagree, Harold. <laughs> not on, I mean, not on, not on everything, but... Um, but he's watching the show, like he's he's, kinda, he's through the first season, I'm, which is really good. Might as well follow through yeah. the last season. I say, yeah, yeah watch the, watch the second season. Um, it, I so I can understand what he's saying about um memorable, well, not memorable characters. What did he? How did he put it? Like protagonists. Like a, he said there was a lack of humor, which I think some of the parts are funny, like especially like the Samson's episode. funny. We yeah. don't get to see Stumpy this episode. Yeah. Um Stumpy is really funny. Um I'd say the funniest moment for me in the pilot is when Sophie tells her mother to shut up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's a funny line. It She's is. Not talking. It's <laughs> so fun- it's funny. It's funny, but at the same time it's like sad because she it, Yeah, cuz she, she always has a got- voice in her head. Yeah. Yeah, and she almost just got raped too, which is <laughs> Add like kind of like a dark. Oh yeah, and this uh-huh. episode gave a bad, uh, a bad uh, depiction of Jonesy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, very misogynistic. Victim, <laughs> victim blaming. Yeah, but I mean he. And normal. That would have been. That it's very been... normal for the. Yeah, I'm a place. Did he do that? No. No, there's some men in town. Got fresh. So I had to hit get in the picture just happened by stopped it come on jonesy it was nothing how many times you've been told i know i can't buy a dress i can't buy a magazine i certainly can't sit in a beauty shop and read it is there anything i can do so there's plenty but one thing you cannot do is prance in these towns without asking for trouble so it was my fault. Yeah, it was. I was asking for it. Yeah. The only thing I asked for was a tank of gas and a knee-high soda and maybe ten minutes to myself. The rest of it was them. Get out. Sophia. Get out! Go, please! Would you please shut up? Very normal at the time, and 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 he's not. You know, he's he's said before, like they see you as less than human because you are in the carnival. Yeah, you gotta be careful, right? And, well, and even that little girl at the end kind of brought that forward again. She was like, "You guys are not really. You guys are below us." <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Mother says you all are marked or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know what 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 is up with these kids though because I feel like if the mother didn't like the carnival why did she let her kids go to this thing like negligent <laughs> maybe the boy just dragged their dragged her in the barrel or the, the whatever the, they just snuck the, away maybe but it was like way wagon, past their bedtime wagon. you know it was <laughs> yeah but okay there's a few different things though one you're right they could have just snuck away yeah. when you say it's way past their bedtime they could have you know gone out the window yeah but at the same time there's a lot of people that think that anyone in entertainment is beneath them but that doesn't mean they won't still go and enjoy the entertainment it's just Mm -hmm. that they think they're you know why do they deserve all that stuff or why do they you know yeah oh well yeah you constantly hear that on the internet about you know actors or whatever um they're overpaid blah 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 and it's like yes the big corporations should be getting all, all that money um <laughs> rather than the people who who uh create the product mm. but um yeah you get that i mean years ago a friend of mine we were talking about unions and stuff and you know he was being very down on performers unions and i said you know you should see what they do to people who they know that people want to perform they know that people have to create you know their art whatever that art is and there's always people willing to take advantage of that and people are treated awfully if they don't have some kind of of way to bargain and so we have unions Mm -hmm. and in the end you know he was basically just poop saying you know who cares and i and this is someone who was a consumer of the arts like crazy. And I finally looked at it and I said, because we really just don't matter. And what we do really just doesn't matter. And he had to admit that, they, yeah, that's how he felt. <laughs> we didn't speak for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sounds like a real schmuck. <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was not a good time. Catherine Hepburn once famously said that acting is the most minor of gifts and not a very high class way to earn a living. After all, Shirley Temple could do it at the age of four. <laughs> but Shirley Temple was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that she was Catherine Hepburn was being like self deprecating at that moment and not actually saying that it's no big deal. Not like, not like uh, shitting on <laughs> Shirley Temple. <laughs> She could have been being self-deprecating or she could have had a moment where she was going back to her upbringing because her upbringing was very um, mainline, just like Grace Kelly's was. And, and she could uh, have just been a massive bitch. Well, she just... It's, easy. it's always easy for people who have made it to be like, it's no big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. People are struggling <laughs> to do it, what you did. Yeah, but she, she also... I mean, as I say, she was raised in a very mainline upper class family. And she was probably pretty much told that what she was doing or, you know, acting in general and so forth was not a real occupation and so forth and so on. But then again, women didn't have to have a real occupation. So Harold, I disagree with you about the humor. <laughs> um, there's lots of funny stuff, especially with the, the Dreyfus family. Yeah, they said there are no compelling leads. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too big on... Nick Stahl, I guess. I don't know if it would have been better if someone else had played Ben Hawkins. 
It could be. I mean, he's so passive in the first season. Um, he he's definitely got drive in the second season, which makes me like him more as a character because he's not such a mope. He's actually like actively pursuing what he, what his role is and everything. So I, I grow to like him more. But I like his performance in the scene with Samson, where Samson's telling him like what a worldly man he is. And Ben's just like laughing to himself, being like, oh, okay, okay, guy. <laughs> I thought that was, it's really subtle, um, his facial expressions, but really good. I like that. You know, I remember when I was a whelp, my daddy worked in the stockyards. Big hands. Spoke German at home. I don't remember much of the Deutsch now. Hmm. You're not, you're not real big on small talk, are you, Huck? What do you want to know? What's your story? I was born on a farm. You saw it. I was raised there. Started working it. Then the bank come, they run me off. That's the end of the story. You satisfied now? Do I look simple to you, Hawkins? No. Well, that's good, because I'm not. I've been to New York City. I've been to Chi-Town and the Big Easy. I met Caruso and Dempsey. I made eyes with Theta Barra. On a bad day, I've cracked tougher nuts than you. So? I know there's more to you than plowing and planting. What's the matter? You don't like steak? Oh, meat's fine. Just don't ask questions. I was pulled out again when he left that food on the plate and half drunk Coke. I was like, this guy would have taken that food with him. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? In the 1930s, you didn't just leave steak on the plate and, and a half of a Coke. Coca-Cola I'm- was... You know, major, I mean, that was, what he was given there was, like, major luxury. Yeah. One would think that Samson would have given him that in private uh, as a bribe to stay on, because certainly everybody else would have been like, why are you giving this nobody this great food? Like, we would like a steak also and a Coke, please. Yeah. Or a knee-high soda, please. (laughs) Although, maybe Samson, maybe that's indicating how much Samson is in charge or how much pull he has do people uh, trust him i mean they seem to all trust him a lot yeah that does create friction though i will say as as the show goes on does it yeah mm, okay because he's the he supposedly he's t- giving the carnival orders that come from management and they don't see management and they're they need to make a living and he's making some very questionable choices or is he mm-hmm. like so there's some there's some good stuff there. Uh, what Harold said about like wanting just to see a version of the show without the magic. I mean, obviously, I love the magical realism aspect of the show, but I really do like just the average carnival life. Like, guy, these people struggling to make eke out a living in this barren wasteland to put on a show and kind of bring some thrill to like the towns, like. Mm-hmm. I like that. I, I like it when they do the fireball show and they have the man eating chicken. You know, like that stuff's like <laughs> super fun. Mm. 
So it's kind of like that's also kind of one of my favorite aspects of the show. Like I could just, I really could just watch that show. I forgot. Yeah. About, I forgot about the man eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> or Turtle Boy. <laughs> alive, alive, alive. <laughs> I love when they say that. Like, like, like Siamese twins alive. <laughs> it's hilarious. Lately in in my town, we're swept by an epidemic of sideshows. And I don't know if you guys have heard this term. I didn't. For me, a sideshow was always like the man-eating man-eating chicken or the yeah. swallower. It's right. a sideshow is what happens in in an area that's not in the main tent, not in the ten in one, you know, or right. under the big top. Right. That's the sideshow. Right. It's off to the side. Yeah. That's not what right. they mean when they mean sideshows. Oh, yeah. What does who mean? Who is they? <laughs> Residents here in the Bay Area of California, when they say sideshow, they are referring to a phenomenon of people who get in cars, in parking lots, and on streets, even residential streets, driving very, very, very fast and turning this wheel sharply to spin in circles mm-hmm. around and around and around, like doing donuts, That's and then stupid. cars doing it very close to each other, and then... Pe- pedestrians onlookers get trying to get as close to the cars as possible without getting hit like touching the cars taking videos through all the exhaust and the smoke uh it makes a lot of noise it's really reckless it's a waste of fuel it's pretty fucking stupid <sighs> but this is what they do like this is what they're doing it happened this weekend in fact um not that far from where i live and that's why there were were helicopters for like four hours i think a pedestrian got hit Yeah, so I don't know if the pedestrian was like a participant in this thing or just a rando. I think they'd have to be a a participant, but I'll I'll link like a video uh, for you guys to to see because it's it's apparently it's a thing and it's and people have been doing it for years because one of the threads I I read was like, oh that looks like fun, and someone's like, oh yeah it was fun back when I did it like years ago. It's like this has been a thing for years, probably. uh, Anyway. I mean, I could see doing something stupid like that out in the middle of nowhere. It's just but... not... Oh, they're doing it... Yeah, they're doing it on, like in your neighborhood. That's crazy. I'll post a link to that when I post the episode in the group, the little article I have. Um, got some feedback from Nutty. Nutty Nuchas. <laughs> hey, Nutty. Uh, hey, Nutty. <laughs> who wants to read this one? Matt. Okay. Matthew. Scoochmel. No. <laughs> oh, let me just mention the... Uh, the Twin Peaks actors who were in this episode, obviously a Michael J. Anderson, but did you recognize Jane Adams holding the baby? Uh, no. She's uh, she's doing a stand-up comedy uh, on the recent oh, season of Twin Peaks. Oh, she looks familiar. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. place her. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and then um, Cynthia Ettinger, who plays Rita Sue, doesn't have any lines this episode, but she uh, will show up on Deadwood in season three as yep. Claudia. Yep. Yeah. She's part of the theater company. Yeah, so. uh, Nutty says, I watched all Carnival and I still don't know how I feel about the show. It's like an art film, only as a series. I watched it because I have a huge crush on Clea Duval, but it's so much more than her, isn't it? Uh, the look is amazing. What they were trying to say, that's part of what I'm still tr- still figuring out. Story time, when I f- okay. Story time. When I finally tried to watch this for the first time, it was a summer night. And I was living in a slumlord's apartment. There was a party across the street when I got home. It was like 3 a.m. I'm trying to watch, and they are loud as hell. And summer with no AC, my window is open. Then shots fired. Someone was shooting. 
In the dark, I creep around the house my apartment is in to see if those were what I thought I heard or something else. I stayed in the shadows and peeked around the corner, and there was someone in the middle of the street, maybe? I think it's supposed to be street. Shooting down the street as everyone ran. I quickly moved back to my apartment and made my way to the interior wall. I called 911 on my cell and whispered into the phone the info. The whole street went silent, and I didn't want anyone knowing where I was or that I called the cops. I told them not to come to my house, but what house But what house had the party? And if they need to see me, I'll come in to them. Uh, they understood and didn't think I needed a face-to-face. It was maybe 20 minutes before the patrol car came down the road. Not even sure if they went to the house that had the party. After that, I called my now husband and asked him to just stay on the line with me. It was silent the rest of the night, and after I hung up, the phone... I could actually hear the show. Let's just say it set a spooky mood. Mm. Never watched The Wire and have no desire to. I've looked into it, but I don't think it's for me, even though I have a friend who who I think started as an extra in that show. Okay, so that wasn't really feedback (laughs) um, so much as a personal anecdote, which is fine. Um, But she, she echoes something that the critics did when the show first started that, oh, it's artsy. It's pretentious. It's precious. It, I don't understand it. Mm. I, I just don't get that at all. Like, it's, it all makes sense to me. Well, you know, I, like, some people will say that about certain things that, like, like other art films. Like, so, say, for instance, like, the David Lynch stuff. Like, some people say, oh, it makes sense to me, but some people might see it and it doesn't make sense to them. Do you know what I mean? So... <laughs> Uh, it just depends. I know, what, I know what you mean, but yeah. I feel like I've watched a lot of TV and I can recognize good story yeah. structure yeah. Um, and development mm-hmm. and and what's just kind of random. And I feel like, as Matt said earlier, like there's enough of that show that feels very planned out that to mm-hmm. say that it's just resting on visuals and mm-hmm. mood, it, no, it's pretty plot driven. It feels pretty plot driven. Maybe people see that air of mystery and they kind of just don't want to deal with that. They just kind of, they want things to be clearer, I guess. And it, or, I mean, it, there's the definitely line, mystery. Yeah, maybe the line that's drawn is not clear enough to these people, so that's why they're, I don't know, I'm just... I'm, uh, I get that, but it. Yeah. But I've, I don't feel like anybody who watched Lost said, oh, it's just an art, it's an art film. Uh-huh. It's just a poke you know? here, you know? <laughs> Um, and that had that had more mystery like puzzly stuff i think than this did and that didn't feel planned out because it wasn't so no no one ever says that about that show i think i'm saying i think they do hey nobody ever they got really a lot of people got really frustrated with lost like a lot of people just kind of gave up on it they were like this is really crazy i don't think they ever just said dismissed it as oh it's pretentious and artsy no i wouldn't say that about lost and maybe that's because this is a show that is largely about performers, where they can be dismissive of it. Yeah, I I found Lost to be kind of boring myself. Um, I I was not a fan of Lost, and I watched it. I watched a lot of the first season, and I I did find it kind of pretentious because it was one of those things where I was looking and saying, I don't think they know where they're going on this and it just seems and then i had that kind of confirmed by various people like david fury and stuff that no they didn't know where they were going 
So I kind of found it pretentious and boring myself, and I didn't watch it past, I don't know, the middle of the first season. Um, I know I'm in a, a, a vast minority on that, but uh, this I didn't find pretentious. I It was hard to follow and confusing, you know, at the beginning, but it kind of warned you about that just the way it started. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is going to take some some mental effort was kind of the way I looked at it. And by the end, they had they tied up enough strings to say, oh, yeah, we're going to do, you know, we're going to, um, you know, this is going to have a specific plot to it. And this is going along this track. You know, the people in these towns, they're asleep. All day at work, at home, sleepwalkers. We wake them up. Come on. I'll read your cards. So how about you give us your rating and tell us if you would watch another episode, Carol. Okay. Yes, I would definitely watch another episode. Um, yeah, I would I would like to see the series. Um, rating. I'm gonna... I'll accept 10 or above. <laughs> I'm uh-huh. just kidding. You wear um... whatever you want. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to go with 8.5 again because, you know, I really liked both of these in different ways but i found both of them to be really interesting and both of them to have both the wire and carnival to um have a lot of depth going on i'm just gonna give them the same thing because it's the first episode and uh, you know i can't quite tell and that's 8.5 out of 10 um marks of the beast <laughs> cool uh, I'm going to wait to rewatch the show um, until um, Sue and Emily do um, a podcast about it because I'm pushing them to do that because they Sue they've and Emily Buffy. are going to do a podcast. I about think it? so. I think so. They've done Buffy, Angel, Dollhouse, Bates Motel, obviously, and I think yeah. next is Firefly. And oh, I want to okay. watch that with with B. Mm. So that's their sister in law. So I think they're going to do Carnival because their sister Catherine has seen all of it. Um, so if I really want them to do that, so then I have an excuse to, uh, rewatch the show and then I can rewatch it with them and like be on the podcast and send in feedback and, and all that stuff. So I hope they do that next year. I don't well, know. If I, they've been dark lately. I haven't heard from them. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen, I haven't seen, uh, an update on their podcast lately. I'm, I have to make sure I'm connected. Um, if I don't get around to watching it before they do it, I'll, I'll watch it with them. I might. I might get to it before that, though, because <laughs> I, um, I did like both of these. I'd really like to watch both of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go ahead and give my rating. Uh, obviously, I love the show. I don't think the the pilot is the best episode, but because it has its own unique uh, feel, um, I think that's something that uh, is good and important, and I like it. It sets up enough really cool stuff, and um, yeah, I'm just going to give it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> of course a, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Come on. Because I think I gave a 10 to... Did I give a 10 to Band of Brothers? I'll give that a 9.5. I like this more than that, so I better give it a 10. Um, 10 out of 10 anachronistic radio programs. Mm. Mm. Uh, Will, your rating, please. I like the I like the series as a whole, but you know, the pilot is not the best episode. I mean, it's a really good pilot. Uh, sets up a lot of 
stuff gives you flashes of mystery to keep you hooked and coming back. Um, uh, gives you introductions to some cool characters, even though I know some of my favorite characters you didn't really see that much of, but I'll give it eight and a half out of ten particles of shaken dust. Cool. <laughs> Who's one of your favorite characters? Um, well, well, not seeing it. Uh, well, I like uh, Loads, and I like, what's his name? The father of the... Uh, Stumpy. Stumpy. Okay. Uh, Mel. Yes. Please, rating, please. Please, please. Uh, yeah, I liked this episode. I think it's probably one of the my favorite pilots that I've seen so far, I think. Yeah, oh, the HBO so. pilot. Yeah, I think so. Mm. It's pretty good. Like, I don't know. It might. It might be like. It might be because of like us doing the podcast that my opinion is colored on that. I don't know. Mm. But I remember like overall like the show. I I liked it, but I did have some problems with it. Um, but yeah, it's just watching this pilot kind of makes me want to rewatch the show almost. Except that we have so many other shows to watch. <laughs> so yeah, but anyways, I did enjoy it. Um, I'd say I'd give it a 9 out of 10 uh, some bitches for old time's sake. <laughs> some bitch. <laughs> some bitch. Um, oh, yeah. That was his catchphrase. Oh, yes. <laughs> some bitch. Some bitch. <laughs> that's, that's a recurring thing. Also, his shirt that he never changes. <laughs> Ew. I just remembered Sophie's socks, like her staggy socks in, like, other oh. episodes. <laughs> she had, like, really droopy stockings. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matt? Uh, I like this show. I like the pilot. Um, it's way more interesting than The Wire to me. There's like weird stuff going on and powers in an interesting period setting that you don't see very often. Uh, and besides just the period, besides the period, there's also the setting of like a carnival. Mm. That's also interesting. Um, uh, I- yeah, I've got a whole podcast on this. If you want to know my, <laughs> um, I, I'm one. I wonder how my rating the first time around compares yeah. to my rating now. Yeah, that's but, what I was wondering too. I was like, uh, oh, maybe I'm not rating it the same. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it uh, eight out of ten. Lungs filled with sand. I you like should it. have gone back and and found your rating. Yeah, I only thought I only thought of that uh, like 15 minutes before we started. So. Well, that uh, averages out to an eight point eight, which is um, suck it pretty pretty <laughs> high. That's the highest thing we've rated so far, actually. Yeah, suck it, critic. But not uh, for a twofer. Not the highest twofer. That would have been the previous one when we talked about Six Feet Under and Band of Brothers. Mm. So yeah, uh, this was pretty good. Can can I put on your list of things you like um, anything that has to do with circuses or performing theater stuff? Can I put theater stuff in the yay column, Matt? <laughs> uh, give me some other examples. I can't. There's not really a lot of them. Okay, do it then. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> um, that's it. That's the pod. Um, Will, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Even though I'm never coming back because you didn't like the wire more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, rate, I rated it the same as you. Okay. And Carol liked it. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> it's just. Matt. I want to see more of it. Just be mad at Matt. Hey. <laughs> 
Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you on the internet? Do you have any podcasts? I'm not. I don't do anything except <laughs> send feedback to this show. Now you can find <laughs> me on. You can find Matt and myself on Spartacast about the Star Series Spartacus, and I'm also on the Sensate podcast about the Netflix show Sensate, which was canceled, but all then resurrected for a two-hour finale special. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I'm doing now. Cool. Um, Matt Mel projects. Twin Peaks podcast. Come hate us. Uh, <laughs> that's our new tagline. <laughs> um, it's like it's not it's just, almost... oh, just masturbate. That should be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's that's what people podcast. do to, to David Lynch. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Matt is wrong about games. We just did E3 thoughts recently. Um, and the Defenders podcast, Netflix series, uh, Marvel Netflix series. Yep. And uh, I'm also on Clone Dance Party, which is about Orphan Black. It's the final season of Orphan Black. Uh, I don't know what they're doing so far, except it seems like they're wasting time. <laughs> but I still enjoy watching it and talking about it with uh, the, the ladies on that podcast. Well, it so. doesn't seem to me like they're wasting time, but okay, that's just me. Are you listening to Clone Dance Party? I haven't right at the moment. I'm kind of... I usually listen. I know. I usually listen on my way to work and back, and we're on. We're in the summer, so I, I'm like off schedule, so I, I have to find other times to listen to my podcasts. But then in the fall, I always get caught up with everything that I didn't get to listen to during the summer. Okay. Um, I have a long. What can I say? All right. Uh, you guys want to know what we're going to talk about next time? Sure. Hey. Sure. Hey, I've got to t- say one thing. Okay. We have plans on we have plan recording McKinley cast. <laughs> this, oh. Since you didn't ask me. Yeah, I don't believe you. So <laughs> <laughs> we have we have talked. Uh-huh. Um, Santa Claus is real too. Yeah. <laughs> um, a member of our group who has been uh, unable to join us says she'll be able to in a couple weeks and we want to knock out the rest of the the episodes. So I Amazing if and I that McKinley cast will come mm-hmm. back. We've just been on a little break. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I shall remain skeptical as is my personality. So. <laughs> <laughs> and All right, so right. next the next our next recording might be a bit of a struggle. Oh no. It's yeah. Um, we'll be talking about K Street. What's that? Is, oh, God. It is... Well, it's another reason why Carnival um, failed. It's because it was paired with this show that nobody liked and nobody watched. Uh, it's about... Okay, so it takes place in Washington, D.C. It's a 30-minute... This is all I know about it. Is that I think it's a Soderbergh production, and that they filmed... They'd, they'd film it, like, the week after something happened in, like, D.C., so it was, like... It's, like, a 30-minute semi-real, semi-dramatized episode written just after that week's events. So, like, if something happened in the news, they would be talking about it on the show. So yeah. it was very, like... It was a very, like, quickly produced because it was like South in the Park. moment. Kind of like South Park, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it used real actor or real people, like politicians and figures, and it had characters as well, fictional characters. Yeah, so, I didn't know. I thought it was uh, real, like it was all real. I didn't realize it was 
it's inefficientalized. So if you like, um, if you like real insider Washington D.C. politics that was relevant only the week after it aired, uh, then you might like K Street. Um, the thirty minutes. I'll give you access to two of them. Feel free to only watch the first one because I'll probably only watch the first one. It's mm. yeah. So not a great pairing um, with Carnival. Also, I know Carnival aired on like had episodes on the same day as the Super Bowl and like the Grammys and like the Oscars and all these big event shows and things happened on the Sundays that Carnival was airing. And this was before like DVRs and shit. So another reason why the show failed uh, ratings wise. But K Street's not all we're watching. We're also watching Angels in America, based on the Tony Kushner play. So America, mm-hmm. right? Angels in America. Now, this originally aired as a two-part TV movie, but because it was later split into six parts, it qualifies uh, on, as uh, something where we'd watch. You know, so it's a, it takes place in the '80s. It's about the like AIDS epidemic. Several queer characters. It was originally a Broadway show that uh, that was in two parts. You had to go two different nights to see the two parts. And um, this is one I have seen uh, because okay. Broadway. <laughs> um, so have you only seen the stage version or did you watch the HBO version? No, I forged version when it came out, though. I'm sorry, say again because you, you broke up there. I really wanted to. I'm sorry. Um, I did not see the Broadway version because I did not have the money. At the time, um, <laughs> like now, uh, but the uh, I did see, I believe, saw this version. I think there's only one version out there. Although I saw, is it being replayed now, or have they made another thing? Because I've been seeing advertisements for Angels in America again. I don't. Why would they ever? I don't know why anyone would make remake that. I don't know either. Um, Maybe you're thinking of Angels in the Outfield? No, that's from 1990. No, <laughs> no, I'll. I'll check it out. I mean, what they could do is film the stage version of it and release that, but I don't see why they would ever remake that. I mean, the the cast. I could have sworn that I. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just i I could swear I saw some kind of advertisement for it, and I was I was surprised. Um, In some ways, it got mixed reviews on Broadway. uh, You know, because it's very long. It's very it's very long. It's very rambly. I know that the actors in the stage version and in the in the HBO version play multiple characters, which is why Meryl Streep is a rabbi, a Mormon, and Ethel Rosenberg. I think. Okay, I just found it. National Theater Live presents Angels in America, a two-part cinema event on July twentieth and twenty-seventh only in cinemas. Okay, so it sounds Nation like they're going to film a stage version. Yeah, or okay. or they're going to they're either going to film the stage version. Or they're going to live stream the stage version or something. I don't know. Um, I'll just quickly let me just quickly say who's in the cast here. Uh, reading it straight from the IMDb: Al Pacino, Mary Louise Parker, Jeffrey Wright, Justin Kirk, Ben Shankman, Patrick Wilson, James Cromwell, Meryl Streep, Emma Thompson. Oh, and uh, Robin Weigert, who plays Calamity Jane, shows up, but I don't think she shows up till part two. So uh, your instructions, everyone, is uh, you must watch one hour of this. You do not have to watch. All of part one, and you certainly don't have to watch part two. Okay. So just, I'd say give it an hour, and if you want to stop it after that, that's fine. I think it's worth watching the first the first full installment, which is, let me see how long it is. Oh yeah, it's like two hours and 46 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part one. 
Because right. it's actually like that's why they yeah, split I, it up into like three additional episodes. So you may definitely definitely don't save this one for like last minute uh, yeah. because you may only watch an hour or you may want to keep going because it's it is wacky. Yeah, yeah, and I I remember I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I saw it, um, but my recollection is that my attention it was like. I didn't understand what was going on, and then I did, and there were parts that were kind of slow, and then other parts that were like, whoa, this is amazing. I, mm-hmm. It's hard to remember now, but because uh, it is, it's very long. Um, it's very long, and it's like, yeah, there's like pockets where it makes sense, and then there's pockets that are fantastical, which, again, magical realism, so... yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the actors are really good, and... Also, the music is incredible, too. It's got a really great score by Thomas Newman. Anyway, it's a, this is a weird pairing that we're doing next time, so good luck with this. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Challenge accepted. Yeah, uh, the the cinema event that's happening is three hours and 40 minutes, two different nights. Each night yeah, is yeah. three hours and 40 minutes. That's what I thought I remembered from the stage show, that the stage show was a combination over six hours. Mm-hmm. Um which is why two nights. Um, and I know that some companies do like part one only. Some I don't know if anyone does only part two. I don't know if anyone's tried to do a condensed version. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I may try and do this in cinemas. But yeah. Well, that's next time. Okay, that's it. As always, you can find us at hooplecast.com. That's got links to episodes, show notes. Discussion threads, which link to our Facebook group, or go on Facebook, find us at Hoop, you know, just search Hooplecast, you'll find the group. Twitter is at Hooplecast, I retweet Deadwood things, send us feedback, mail at, no, I did this last time, it's Hooplecast at gmail.com. I've got to renew my domain this month, and I have to migrate my web service to another web host, because my three-year plan is over, so I have to get ready to put down another, like, 150 bucks. And move all my files. Podcast ain't free, folks. Appreciate us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say it probably cost me $100 a year to do this. But I'm going to dump a, hun- a bunch of it right up front. Let's get that Patreon going. <laughs> yeah, I don't ask uh, people to donate on Patreon or send in money. <laughs> or I don't put ads on this. Uh, I don't think I could because I use copyrighted music, so I'm not, I can't make money off of this. So I'm not going to ask you to donate. Please don't ask me to donate to your podcast. <laughs> Just appreciate it. That, that's the deal we make. Yeah. And don't leave any bad reviews on iTunes. Yeah, it's the least you can yeah, do. Yeah, fuck those are bad reviews. Okay, that's it. Goodbye. Uh, uh, Will, I- you want to take us out with our signature sign-off? You want to give us a fuck you? <laughs> Just, you know, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I expected more emotion. But <laughs> he said it in a jolly way. That's an emotion. Jolly way. It's he wasn't jolly... thinking about your opinion of the wire at that time. <laughs> How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished and squalor, grow up to be a hero and a scholar? The ten dollar founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being a self-starter by 14. They placed him in charge of a trading charter. 
And every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came Devastation reigned, our man saw his future drip, dripping down the train. Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain, and he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain. Well, the word got around, they said this kid is insane, man. Took a book collection just to send him to the mainland. Get your education, don't forget from whence you came, and the world's gonna know your name. What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things I haven't done But just you wait, just you wait When he was ten, his father split full of it Dead, ridden two years later See Alex and his mother bedridden, half dead Sitting in their own sick, the scent thick And Alex got better, but his mother went Moving with a cousin, the cousin committed suicide Left him with nothing but ruined pride Something new inside a voice saying Alex, you gotta fend for yourself He started retreating and reading every treatise on the shelf There would have been nothing left to do for someone less astute He would have been dead and destitute without a cent or restitution Started working, working for his late mother's landlord Trading sugar cane and rum and all the things he can't afford adventurer, The Shadow, mystery man who strikes terror into the very hearts of shopsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. Today, 
Blue Coal brings you The Shadow's latest adventure, The Silent Avenger. guilty of murder in the first degree. You now appear in this court that sentence may be passed upon you. But before I pronounce sentence, have you anything to say? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Before you pass sentence on me, I'm going to pass sentence on you. You, Judge Wilson, on Sloan, the prosecuting attorney, on those 12 good and true saps on the jury. And on one more, maybe. The guy that really trapped me in the first place. The only guy smart enough to get me. The shadow. Order! Order in the court! That will do, Joseph Brecker. You have nothing to say in your own behalf. This is in my own behalf, and you'd better listen, all of you. I know I'm on my way to the death house to the chair. But I'm warning you. For every day I sit in the death house, one of you will be killed. Starting with the foreman of the jury. And if the governor doesn't commute my sentence to life, he'll die the day I burn. <laughs> Order! Order in the court! Who's that? I heard somebody, but there's nobody there. Hey, God! Are you surprised to find me here, Joe Brecker? Shut up. <laughs> so you weren't expecting me. And yet prisons are filled with shadows. Shadows in the minds of men walking in the shadow of death itself. What do you want? You put me here, sent me to the chair. Why can't you let me alone? Because your career of murder is not over. Because I know you mean to carry out the threat you made in court. Yeah. Yeah, you can't stop me, Shadow. I can. Because you're going to tell me how the jury, the prosecuting attorney... And Judge Wilson are going to be killed. You're crazy. I'm not telling you anything, Shadow. I'm not afraid of you anymore. I got nothing to lose. You are telling me, Brecker. Yeah. You see, I can read your mind. One thought is racing through your mind now. It's mirrored in your eyes, etched on your brain. You're lying, trying to trick me into telling you. All right, I'll tell you what you're thinking about. You're thinking of a man he... He acts strangely. He's... That's it. He's shell-shocked. No. Am I right? No, no, stop it. This man is very close to you. I've got it. He's your brother. His oh. name is... Let's see. Danny. Danny, isn't it? No, no, go away. Leave me alone. Thinking that even now your brother, Danny, is hurrying home to get a high-powered rifle out of a trunk. Is that true? A rifle equipped with telescopic sights no. and a silencer. You're thinking of Danny's medals for marksmanship. His decorations for valor as a sniper. A sniper so cunning he could hide in an open battlefield. So I... Pick his enemies off at long range and no. not be seen. That's all I need to know, Brecker. All I need to know. <laughs> no. No, you're crazy. You're just guessing. All right, suppose he is. You won't find him. You won't stop him, Shadow. Shut up. 
It's a shadow he's here in the prison. Yeah, well, don't let that worry you, Brecker. There's plenty of shadows where you're going. Come on. Deputies are waiting, and you're heading for the last mile. (laughs) Blue Coal, America's finest anthracite, again presents another thrilling adventure of The Shadow. Be sure to listen and be sure to burn blue coal, the solid fuel for solid comfort. I'd like to remind you homeowners that right now, when winter is changing into spring, is the most treacherous time of all the year. But you can protect your family's health and save valuable dollars by burning blue coal. It's Pennsylvania's finest anthracite. Order a trial ton from your nearest blue coal dealer tomorrow. And if you want to read The Adventures of the Shadow in complete novel form, in addition to numerous detective stories, crime problems, and features, simply write us for your copy of The Shadow Magazine, absolutely free. Remember, all you have to do is mail a penny postcard to Blue Coal, 120 Broadway, New York City, or to Blue Coal in care of this station. Send for your free copy of The Shadow Magazine tonight. 